0: Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com. Join me at patreon.com backslash cinema for exclusive uh, commentary, comments, uh, early access to uh, reviews before they show up on Sonic Cinema as well as more on my music and just movies in general. That is patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. Today, I'm uh, pleased to be joined by a couple of friends making their debuts to the uh, podcast, but won't won't be the last that are time that are on there. I uh, look forward to having them on again uh, for other topics. Um, we're going to be discussing David Lynch today. Uh, this was originally something I wanted to do last year uh, when the Twin Peaks uh, return... Uh, me- Series came up and uh, didn't really get to it, but I'm looking forward to having this discussion with uh, them today. So please join me in welcoming Jeffrey Buter and Matthew Timms to the podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thanks, Brian.
0: Um, the I think the we're we're going to be focusing on a a uh, few specific films, but I do also want to do some general discussions on Lynch in general, uh, because of the fact that his his filmography is one that's uh very always very fascinating to me and he's he was a filmmaker when I got into his work finally uh in the early two thousands after Moho and Drive. Uh it, it's His work is something that uh, really uh, spoke to me and resonated with me on a uh, deeper level than I expected it to. Um, So before we we get into the specific movies that we were going to discuss, what were your respective uh, introductions to Lynch in your lives?
1: Well, I saw Dune and the Elephant Man fairly early, and I, uh, I liked both of those, but um, I couldn't get into his more, let's say, signature works at first. There was just something about them that I found too obtuse and hard to get into, and it was one of those things where I had to kind of keep plugging away at it and trying, and then eventually I kind of found a way to approach the material that I enjoyed, <coughs> And uh, I still have friends to this day that only like Dune and The Elephant Man, and like they're they're like, yeah, those two are great, but I can't stand the others. And like, it's one of those things where, um, you know, there's a lot of things I love that I cannot understand how you can't like it. Like anybody who doesn't know the Marx Brothers, I don't understand. But if you don't (laughs) like David Lynch or The Residents, eh, I kind of get that. It's an acquired taste. Yeah, it's very specialized. So uh, I think. Uh, watching them all kind of uh, together and Twin Peaks I think just sort of something about that all kind of coalesced at a certain point and I was able to kind of uh, understand more what he was doing mm-hmm. uh, but we we'll can talk a little more about that as we go along.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey, what about you? I,
2: was probably, I think I was 17 when Lost Highway came out and mm-hmm. uh, I think that was my first one and then out in the theater and I pretty much watched everything back then. Yeah. I didn't even know who he was. And then um and then someone told me to watch Twin Peaks but I only watched the movie. hmm so anybody that's <laughs> listening to this that has seen Firewalks with me Firewalk with me knows it's uh kind of spoils everything from the show. Yeah. And it's nothing yeah. like the show. <laughs> and so I was I was completely baffled by that one. And then I mean I just, you know, I got into film when I was, like, 15 or 16, so he just was one of those guys I got around to. I liked him instantly. I loved Lost Highway, and then I I liked Blue Velvet. Lost Highway kind of bumped its way down to, like, on my lower bracket of of his movies Mm -hmm. as more stuff came out when I saw Blue Velvet. But I think Scuttle and I, I tracked back pre, like, Facebook and, you know, Internet. We tracked down a VHS copy of Eraser, and I think we saw it for the first time together, right?
0: I, I think so. Yeah, at my house. you you might have watched it before I did. Okay, you but I you, might did. Have, you might have you might yeah you would showed it to me but yeah you're yeah uh, but yeah that that is it was because of uh, you getting that on VHS yeah we tried that, that was the first day. time that I had seen it <clears throat> yeah it did um well. and yeah it's funny <clears throat> Lost Highway was my first uh, David Lynch as well I was uh, 19 at the time or going on. Twenty and uh, I, I didn't like it. I, I didn't. I, I was, I wasn't familiar with Lynch either, but I, I couldn't stand it. I was confused. I was baffled. This was when I, I think I watched Blue Velvet shortly thereafter because I was, I was curious. Uh, and I, I really did like the soundtrack for uh, Lost Highway. Yeah, who doesn't? Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh. Yeah, I was I was I was baffled by Lost Highway when I first saw it, and then um, a few years later, I I kind of got away from Lynch for a little bit after uh, Lost Highway and Blue Velvet, which I liked Blue Velvet more. I wasn't really as in love with it as it seemed like other people were. Uh, it wasn't until uh, Mulholland Drive came out in two thousand one that I really started to. Um. Follow Lynch again, and I basically from from that point on, I was I I got Netflix by that point, and so basically I just started renting as many of his movies as possible, and yeah, it was shortly. It was around that time that I met you yeah, that so. we started talking about Lynch.
1: Well, so since I'm just a little bit younger than you guys, I had uh, that same experience with Mulholland Drive. That was the first of his mm-hmm. really particular movies that I saw and I didn't know what to make of it and I was frustrated by it and confused and mm-hmm. and then, you know, I had to kind of go back to everything else and then kind of slowly work it all in.
0: Yeah. I,
2: I think I took notice of him because, like, I was really into movies and I would go see movies and if the trailer made a, the, the director's name really big I would try to remember it because, like, if it was like Woody Allen or Oliver Stone, they would be like directing by it. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh, I must. David, what a great name. David Lynch. I was like, I gotta watch this guy. I mm-hmm. think I went, I can't remember. I think it was the Vertigo re release or something they put that on. Yeah. And and, and yeah, that's, a, and I went, I remember going down to Phipps.
0: Yeah, I saw it at Phipps as well because, yeah. I mean, I think that was the only place that showed it. I don't know yeah, that it ever yeah. got a wider release. But, um.
1: Well, I, I can't remember a time where I wasn't at least peripherally, aware of all of these things. Yeah. It's always been in the back of my mind. Like, I saw the Blue Velvet poster in a video store, and I saw, you know, I was aware of Twin Peaks being this really important show, and I kind of always knew that these things were important somehow and that they were really revered, but I didn't really know what it was at first. Right. And, uh, like, I guess... Uh, the Elephant Man is kind of a great intro because it's mm. a little more straightforward in its narrative. And it's
2: not one of my favorites either, not because it's straight. Like I like straight stories fine, I and mean, I like Dune. Elephant Man was one that I never. Maybe it's because it's more sentimental than most of his
0: stuff, or something.
1: <laughs> I can see that. I can Yeah. See that. Um,
2: like, what's your least favorite? Both
1: of you guys. A uh, Wild at Heart is my least favorite.
0: See, I actually really like Wild at Heart. I, I the the first time I the one time I've seen it, I need, I want to go back and rewatch it. Um, but the the one time I went to I the f- one time I watched it, I really liked it.
1: You know, um, I just got the DVD fairly recently. It was one mm-hmm. of the older MGM releases, and yeah. uh, I still just, I, I need to watch it again. I need to give it a fair shake, because there's lots of, oh, like, I
2: don't really like There's it. lots of <laughs>
1: wonderful bits, like the the car wreck with Sherilyn Finn and the, the bloody head and all that stuff. There's a lot of great images, like, uh, shirley is the um glinda the good witch like there's yeah individual parts that i really love but it feels too much like just a bunch of random things thrown together to me mm-hmm. and also like one of the things that i really love about lynch is that he's really great with composition he has wonderful color schemes mm-hmm. and a-, a lot of his things feel like they are kind of timeless <coughs> in a way and that film felt very early 90s. The color wasn't as good. It was kind of mm-hmm. garish. It's more like an Oliver Stone <coughs> movie than a Lynch movie to me.
2: Yeah, um, I know that. I know from I read Lynch on Lynch like 20 years ago probably. And I know that he talked about that's one of the only times he showed a test audience and then recut. Because he never recuts. But mm-hmm. there was some scene in there. I can't remember. I haven't revisited Wild Heart in years. But there's some scene that was so bad, like, 80% <laughs> of the audience were walking out. Like, they weren't even staying until the end. It's a test screening. Hmm. And he was like, yeah, I guess I need to recut that one. Like, apparently, it's the only time he's ever done that.
1: Yeah, I, I've read that, too, and I can't remember either. But it's
2: one of the sex scenes that was, like, kind of violent.
1: Yeah, hmm. yeah that sounds right. I don't right. even know if it's still in there. But. I, but I do need to give it a fair shake, because I know so many people
0: love it, that there's got to be something I'm missing. Yeah. And Is
2: Lost Highway your least favorite then, Brian?
0: Yeah, I I like it more than <clears throat> I did the first time cuz I did revisit it a few years later after I got more into Lynch's work. Okay. So, I like it more, but it's still kind of that least favorite. It's sort of least favored by default. Okay. So, it's it's not necessarily that I flat out dislike it. I I think there're definitely especially after watching Mulholland Drive, especially after watching Twin Peaks, while that hardened, gang more attuned to the type of filmmaker Lynch is, I I appreciated what he did more. Yeah, and now I'm really curious to uh, revisit Lost Highway in light of, you know, it, it's funny. It's like rewatching Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire for this this podcast, like. What I remember of Lost Highway it sort of fits into, it. there's sort of a trilogy going on with Mulholland Drive in and La- Inland Empire in terms of Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, just him taking on Los Angeles in some particular way.
2: Was it a theory or is it true that Mulholland Drive started out as like a spinoff of Twin Peaks? That's like true from Audrey what I understand. Horn Goes to L.A. or something. Yeah,
1: Audrey Goes to Hollywood was the original pitch. And, okay. Um, That's pretty interesting. It uh, It's interesting. Um, you know. I wonder if the, uh, if the plot would have gone in the same direction or not. Mm-hmm.
2: Hey, one thing I wanted to bring up, I didn't write notes like you guys, but one thing <laughs> I wanted right. to bring up was uh, – I've had debates over whether you consider him a horror director because Firewalk With Me, Mahan Drive on some level, Eraserhead. Do you consider those horror films?
1: Well, it's actually, this is something I was hoping we'd get into. Like, I'm uh, a pretty big horror buff, and my wife is a huge horror buff, mm-hmm. and a lot of those movies don't really scare me all that much like i kind of you know i see That's the like fire Wopper,
2: I, I i see <laughs> like the i
1: you know i just i say okay the ghost is going to appear in the mirror and then the the ball the child's toy is going to roll across the room and whatever you know like, yeah uh, but david lynch's movies tend to get to me in this in a way i can't quite describe there's an emotion, and a fear, and a darkness, and something that gets really in the back of my head and doesn't let me go. Right. And so I don't know if they count as horror movies, but I say most of them are scarier than most horror movies. Mm-hmm. I would,
0: I would, I would say that. I mean, I, I, think Lynch is one of those filmmakers where I, I think he sort of he straddles between particular genres.
1: I mean, because his movies, all, Wikipedia considers Fire Walk be a horror film. Just I would,
2: well, yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> do you guys like that one? I feel like that one's kind I, of a little bit less. I do
0: actually like Firewalk with Me. When I rewatched uh, the first two seasons of uh, Twin Peaks last year. Yeah. And I rewatched uh, Firewalk with Me afterwards. Too. Yeah, I love that one. I think and, the movie's great. I know yeah. the
2: fans didn't like but I didn't have that same feeling of watching the show. And then also, like, people that watched the show probably weren't all David Lynch fans. They were TV fans. Yeah. And um, as. Outs- I-, I totally get why people would hate that. Like, I mean, it'd be like if you were, like, you know, watching Seinfeld or something, and then you go see it, and there's, like, a horror Seinfeld movie or something. Like, yeah. some favorite show of yours that, like, you go see, and the tone is just gone. Mm-hmm. Your so favorite different. characters are yeah. gone. Like, I mean, like, hardly anyone's even in it. Like, like, like Cooper is, like, barely in it. He's yeah. for, like, a
1: minute. Yeah. And, well, um, I remember uh, when, uh, when I was first getting into Twin Peaks, uh, I believe it was you who told me, like, it's really good, but it's not the movie you want it to be. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, imagine, and of course we have this now, but like at the time you were saying, like imagine if they did another Star Wars movie, but Han Solo's only in it a little bit. Yeah. Like You're going to be a little bit disappointed, but if you take the movie for what it is rather than what you want it to be, yeah. you'll really enjoy it.
2: Yeah, like I said, going in like not knowing what the show was, I worked with this actress, I don't mean like I worked with her in a movie, I, I was a projectionist with an <laughs> actress, and she was in the movie Flatliners, and a couple other things. The and original? She, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, cool. She was the um, naked African American woman. Huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. She she, I, yeah. she she had a small part. She's like my Hollywood friend. She was cool. She <laughs> would always talk. But she's the one. Who, she also before I saw. No, I've seen Lost Highway. She's the one who like could tell me like watch Twin Peaks. It's 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 like Jeffrey as a show. Like, no. you are. <laughs> uh, she told me because <laughs> like 18 year old me was like that was right up my alley. But um. Yeah, I, like also was a huge Chris Isaacs fan at the oh, time, and yeah, so like him, him and Keith or Sutherland are like really yeah, you know great. I just feel like it's like the black sheep of his like his filmography. Like everybody talks about like the big stuff, you know, like Wild of Heart, Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. To me, that one's just as good. It's I think better.
1: I I do really love that movie, and yeah. I love its place in Twin Peaks because mm-hmm. since the show had gotten so far off. Tonally and everything from what it was when it started this. It was like bringing it back to the beginning in a very literal sense, of course, but also kind of like bringing the tone back around and making it creepier and just and so many th- of the themes and ideas and things that they introduced carry over into the third season, too, so
0: mm-hmm. it's you know, a great kind of breeze. I, I still haven't seen the third season. I'm so disappointed in that. I, that one
2: episode I, is like holds up against pretty much any of his work. Yeah, like, uh, you could take Part 8
1: <laughs> and release it just on its own. And Seriously,
2: it's, it's, I, I put that, like, just that single episode holds up against anything you've done, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I w- another one was like I know these weren't the ones we were going to talk about, but also Straight Story when it came out, it was like you know you will just have an actor and you love him like uh, like I love Sissy Spacek. Right. Yeah, yeah of and You guys know that. <laughs> <laughs> I just finally saw Badlands for the first time for whatever, but hmm. um, but yeah, when, when I heard like she was going to be in a David Lynch movie, I was yeah, like, holy cow! And then of course it was not a, like what we expect a David Lynch movie. To no, be. not at all. <laughs> and uh, that's what I like about him. It, like I just loved it because I've always been pretty open minded or like I don't care you know i didn't need craziness it was a pretty it, it was you know what
0: it needed to be yeah yeah and i mean that's 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 one of the things it's like wild at heart is definitely <laughs> a movie i need to revisit uh dune is another one that i want to revisit i haven't watched that in I can't several defend years him. i tried to because <laughs> i love it i think you love it right i do yeah yeah and you like it like
2: i but when people are just telling me how much they hate it, I'm like, yeah, I understand. Like, yeah, it's not. I don't think it holds up to like what they want from the book, and it's like. Yeah. And then and now with that Jodorowsky, which I think Jodorowsky would have really. I don't think he's nearly as talented as David Lynch. I think the David Lynch one is great, but um, yeah, people are like just just hate that movie. Even David Lynch doesn't seem to like it. Yeah. it. I thought in the, uh, not to get off topic. Going into star wars but uh, i thought that that uh, force whitaker in rogue one was like uh, almost like a uh, homage to like um, Dune, like this whole hmm. look and having the gas mask like which reminded me of like lynch hmm. it might not have been intentional but
1: well and also like i'm glad a film of dune exists because it's one of those things that people have been ripping off for so long and yeah i have a copy of the book and i still have not even cracked the cover it's just yeah, And I don't have that much time to read these days, so, like, uh, it, I have to kind of pick and choose what I want to read, and it's so involved, and there's so many different characters and plotlines and planets and things, and but uh, at least with this, I get kind of a streamlined idea, and, yeah, like, I saw a Phantasm recently, and there's a, a pain <coughs> box scene in that, and I'm like, oh, well, I, I see what they did there, they just ripped <laughs> it off straight away, you know? And uh, so it's kind of nice to have like a Cliff Notes version there. And right. uh, like the, the Toto score is not nearly as good as the Battle of stuff, but I really <laughs> like it. Yeah, it's it's <laughs>
2: like, a fun one. I've, yeah. Um, yeah it, it, it's, it's one I enjoy. Like I said, uh, um, Elephant Man, I don't dislike. It's kind of like not one of my favorites to watch. And Wild at Heart definitely my favorite. Uh, this is like probably like sacrilegious, but to me it almost felt like for the first time, he like had self parody where it was like, "Oh, I, mm-hmm. Frank Booth was crazy. Let's have a crazier character." <laughs> and like got Willem Dafoe, and like, and it almost felt like a version of Frank Booth. Like, I, I don't know. I don't hate it. I need to re give it another chance because I might change my tune on it. And the heavy metal music, I didn't really. Like. I thought it was funny, like the heavy metal music. Mm-hmm. I didn't really like all that. But, well, we should talk about the ones we do like.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's fine. And uh, <laughs> I mean, well, and that's that's the thing. It's like even though we. Even though we're going to be focusing in on three specific movies, it's like, ultimately, I do did want this to be a larger discussion of this work yeah. as well. And uh, But the three movies that we're going to be talking about were <clears throat> going to be the ones that we're going to get into a little bit more depth. Oh, on. And I meant to
1: ask you this before we started recording, but are we assuming that the listeners have seen the movies, or are we trying to be... Careful about if, spoilers. if we
0: have to get into, I mean, if you're listening to this, <laughs> in, if you're listening to this, chances are, knowing that it's about David Lynch, I would hope that you're at least aware of David Lynch okay. and probably well, are there spoilers images.
2: in *Inland Empire*? It's
0: hard. <laughs> yeah, that that's my big question because uh, it's like hi. I don't know even what to. Watching it again on Sunday, it's like I don't even I would even know like.
2: Can we go in, let's
0: uh, can we go in reverse order and start with Inland Empire? Yeah, or we can go you and wanna, talk. No, we, we, we could with, no, we can we could start with Inland Empire because of the fact that it's like it it was his last feature film yeah. that he's done. Um, what it, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, 12 years ago, and yeah, I think you had you already seen it when you and I went no, to go see no, it. No,
2: because I heard it was only playing for like that night. For some yeah. Reason. And I skipped going to see a concert and it was playing all week. But yeah. yeah, we all went, it was me and you and Melissa Yeah, that's right. My wife Melissa. And uh
0: I ended up having to go see it that Thursday because I'd fallen asleep during it the first time. <laughs> um <clears throat> But I I don't necessarily put that on the film, but yeah, the, the film so it's a three hour movie. It is as Laura Dern, Jeremy Irons, and Justin Thoreau in it. I mean, where do you even begin with?
2: The reason I love it, I'll tell you why I love it so much. Before we describe, even describe what I love, is yeah, like, I think you, as an Andre Tarkovsky fan, like we like puzzles, and I, 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 I like that it's really difficult to describe, and I like that mm-hmm. it's dense because, like, a lot, of, you know, you watch Office Space fifty times, it's Office Space. Yeah. Like I've seen Inland Empire like six times, and I can't tell you everything that happened. Right. I can barely scratch the surface. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, there, the basic plot. Is they're making a film that apparently is cursed, that it, sort of the um, Don Coyote, of yeah. the fictional world, <laughs>
1: and um, and actually that's a, that's a pretty good horror movie setup, by the way. You yeah. know that this is a remake of a film that they didn't finish because they died. I mean, yeah, it, it's
2: yeah, uh, it's tropey. Um, they um. Also, what's interesting is that he shot it all on like like a like mini sto- store bought yeah. DV. Yeah, and. Um, the first twenty minutes, I think, if it wasn't David Lynch, it would instantly be dismissed. It's like garbage, yeah. and I don't think it's bad. I just think if you don't go into it being like, oh, this is David, Lynch, like the stuff with um, I can't think of her name, Grace, Grace. And, mm. Yeah, it's it's it on like silliness, and then and then like you get into the world, and there's rabbits, which he I don't I don't know if you guys were I like used to follow his website, and he used to have uh, like you could subscribe and get yeah content, and, like, Rabbits was a series that was on there, mm-hmm. and, and there's this really weird one called, something like Beesbean, I, <laughs> bees
1: bees. I don't believe I've seen that one, no. It's on YouTube now,
2: but all this stuff used to only be on the website, so I knew Rabbits in advance, I'd seen all the Rabbits, Yeah. And so then Rabbits was, like, stuck in there, so I go to it, there's all the Polish stuff, there's Grace, The what's her name?
1: I believe Zabriskie.
2: Yeah, the lady from Seinfeld. She, <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, but yeah, and, like, um... And then it's just it's just a it's just a mess, but a good mess. Like it just yeah. it's everywhere.
0: Well, once once Laura Dern's character comes into play, it's like you really start to see the film come into focus a little bit. But the thing is, watching it on Sunday, I felt like that opening up until you know when when Laura Dern's character comes into it. I feel like all of, up until that moment, in though. Up in in those that first like twenty, thirty minutes you're talking about, it's basically David Lynch just putting all the chess pieces he's going to put on the board.
2: Yeah. You yeah, know. But so I mean there's <laughs> just like stuff that like I mean, the overall there's a there's a bit of an arc in the story. I mean and, and the more I watch it, I mean I'll ch- I'll probably have a different opinion of it in ten years. Mm-hmm. But like that monologue that, that she has where she's talking about her abuse, that seems like an audition tape or something. Yeah. L- like, because yeah. she's an actress in it. And it's, again, it's a, pl- it's almost like a play on Mulholland Drive where it's about, like, acting, and 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 I love it. But then there's, like, that whole section at, like, a barbecue. I mean, it's really hard to, like, even go <laughs> where to touch down on that movie um, to, to stop and talk about
1: and it. And one of the things uh, that, uh, from, I think that that's correct, though, from what I understand, uh, he came to Lord. Uh, he came to Lord during with the monologue first, and then they kind of shot that, and then they created more scenes. And they kind of uh, built the wall. They built the foundation first, and then kind of built the house around it while they were going on. Yeah, but and,
2: story-wise, I feel like oh, okay, I feel yeah. like that's it. Feels like it's really happening, but I, I feel like that scene is supposed to be like her auditioning for something. That's what I always took. Away I from I that. can
0: see I can see it that way. I can also see. It. And th- this is one of the things that's so fascinating about Inland Empire to me, even though I don't I don't love it as much as you do. Yeah, I really I, I I I think it's really good. I I think it's really fascinating for like five six of the movie. Yeah. Uh, which we can discuss. But with that scene, the the scene you're talking about, it's like I can see that being an audition. You know, in keeping. You know, it's just one for actor, her. Actor auditioning, but I can also see it being part of. To a certain extent, I can also see it maybe coming from a different film that she's been in. I can see it maybe coming from this film, whatever this film is going to look like. Yeah, and I mean the whole thing—the film, like film a, that they're the looking at—and her like
2: real life, and yeah, the film they're making, like bleeding over. And mm. well, one
1: of the the thing that really jumped out at me as I was watching it this time is the artificiality of, like, everything. Like, the thing that, re- when I first saw Rabbits, the thing that really jumped out at me was the way, you know, the canned laughter of the audience mm-hmm. uh, reacts to <coughs> basically nothing. Yeah. It reminds me very much of those, those dreadful <coughs> sitcoms where uh, somebody says basically nothing and gets a huge reaction, and then the same thing with the talk show scene with Diane Ladd, yeah. which is just a great sort of reference but, yeah. you know, um, like, having her there was great. But, um, like, this, that same kind of thing happening there, too, where um, it's pointing out the artificiality of the whole enterprise and what they're doing. And that's uh, a very sort of necessary aspect of the business side of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I found that kind of fascinating, that whether or not it was meant to be, like, a poke in the ribs, it was... It reads that way.
0: I I definitely think there's a lot of Inland Empire where it's a big dig at Hollywood. I mean, I think just the idea of the nature of the movie that uh, Lord Dern and Justin Thoreau's character are making is, there's so much about that. Like, Jeremy Irons basically, after, they're, they're getting ready to make the movie and it's like, oh, by the way, here's the backstory of this. It's actually a <clears throat> remake of a story that never got finished because the main character, the the actors, died. Yeah. And it's like, oh, by the way, now that you're locked into this, we're going to tell you the truth now. And that That's idea is... a very Hollywood thing to do, yeah. Well, and the idea that anything is basically worth a remake at this point. Oh yeah, and yeah. I I think the I think <clears throat> in a in a very big way the film is all about uh is is a very David Lynch uh, satirical dig at Hollywood.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's the whole stuff with Thero and um, what's her name? Laura Dorn's mom. Yeah. Diane. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I'm
2: sorry about It's okay. Uh, <laughs> I wrote it down. Good, good. <laughs> I like the whole, the whole the whole part where she like goes on. She's like a talk show host. She's like an mm-hmm. um, Access Hollywood
1: kind of – yeah, I mean, all that yeah. stuff. Well, and I know it, it sort of played into the story later, but I love that one of the things she's talking about is like, are you two going to have sex? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's something yeah. that <laughs> happens every time there's two attractive people in a room together. There's some reporter like, so you two gonna?" Uh, and, uh. and right. you know, it's right, just right. – it's so ridiculous to assume that just because two people work together – that they're going to hook up. And, but it happens all the time. And yeah. so that's a very <laughs> definite Hollywood thing. Mm-hmm. And I love that that uh, death scene at the end is staged on one of the stars of the Walk of Fame. And mm-hmm. it's all very, um, maybe even too much on the nose, but I love it. So Yeah. Um, and have you guys actually been to Hollywood? Have you ever been on a vacation have. or anything? I haven't. Um, so it's this really fascinating place. And I think the film captures it strangely well because there are there's really rich sections and really poor and it's like upscale and trashy at the same time and you can go down one road and see this vastly different area like like if you have i know you've seen pretty woman at some point and it's very much like that you can drive in a short distance from this really upscale beautiful place that most people will never even be able to get access to and find prostitutes pretty quickly Right, and so it's this—it's kind of a perfect metaphor for itself because Hollywood is the place where dreams are made and mm-hmm. dreams are broken. Yeah, and, and
2: the stars' placements funny because you have like Queen Latifah next to Kim Novak or something. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's—it's it's so strange. I think there's anything wrong with Queen Latifah, but yeah, uh, well, she's and it's great. and it's
1: <laughs> also so strange that like you know you've got the Chinese Theater and all these places that are very iconic. And then, you know, you go a little further down, and the Walk of Fame's still going on, but you're looking at, like, T-shirt shops and things. And <laughs> you could be at Myrtle Beach for all that difference it makes. Yeah. Like, it is it is very much a kitschy kind of thing after mm-hmm. a while.
2: I went down this alleyway near the Chinese Theater, and this guy who just sold, like, an 8 by 10 mm-hmm. glossies of, like, actors, and that's all they were. Yeah. I just signed, <laughs> like, thousands of them, but it was, like, this little, like, unmarked shop like a record shop, and I got one of... Um, <laughs> It happened one night, and um, and uh, gone with the wind. Oh, uh, Clark, Gable. Clark Gable. I do not like of Clark Gable's name, uh, but um, I got, got a really good picture of Clark Gable.
1: I'm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was reading. I saw this thing on Twitter recently that apparently, like, t Will go sign stuff at those things. He's like, Yeah, they got their hustle. I want to help them out. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I think that's a great thing. But mm-hmm. yeah, like. Um, Hollywood is such a weird metaphor for itself in that yeah. kind of way and I think the movie really captures that because you've got this you know these glorious houses and these beautiful rooms that you don't I don't think that you, you probably haven't been to every room in that house it's so huge <coughs> you know there's an entire different house upstairs basically yeah. But uh, then there's also a prostitute dying on the street, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, not I think it's a much
2: better look at Hollywood than Kate Winslet and Jack Black in The Holiday. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty good
2: though. That's a, that's a or that's an overlooked I, I did. Well I did. It's like funny. It. It's really <laughs> funny. It's Nancy Myers, right?
0: Yeah, I, 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 enjoyed it. I
2: was just thinking about that because Eli mm. Wallach's character is great in that. It, oh, yeah, he was it also came
0: out around the same time. That's that's yeah, that's the funny the thing. Classic. But it was in year,
1: wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> how do
2: you think Lynch does? Um, because lately I've been thinking about directors who can actually write male directors who can actually write women characters, like Bergman, Pedro Almodovar, yeah. Woody Allen. all come to mind. But how do you think he? You think like within his own world he does okay because his guys aren't that much better than the depth. I of his, I think his he American does. I, I
0: think you could make a legitimate call. Uh, call for him being a really strong, uh, writer of female characters. I mean, it's
2: they're super sexualized in the early stuff. I mean, like Blue Velvet, obviously. Like you got the sad prostitute. And but the
0: thing is, she's a rich character. Yeah. Like that, it's a rich characterization. It's like there's so much. It's not just, oh, she's <clears> going <throat> to be naked for this amount of time. That's the only thing interesting about that character. That's yeah. that's not the case. I mean, no. even Laura Dern yeah, in Laura character in there, is I, I, really compelling as well.
2: Yeah, I think he does all right. I yeah. Because there's directors like, like somebody brought up Tarantino, and I was like, well, they're kind of. T-
0: uh,
1: you know they're kind of masturbatory fantasies yeah uh, mm-hmm. why not? I, I
0: think, think they're i think i think tarantino is an interesting female director of female characters but yeah I, I think there's definitely some truth to it. it's like he's and he's th- looking so much at paying homage to stuff
1: well and i mean there are exceptions like jackie brown's a very yeah. well-realized character but everyone in Death Proof is kind of, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, a stereotype of some sort. Oh, yeah. I,
2: I never had realized how, uh, I don't want to go off on this, but I never had realized how bad True Romance is in terms of like, in 2018, I don't think it'd be made. It's just basically about a nerd that gets everything he wants. I mean, <laughs> and, but, but anyway, sorry. But no, but uh, yeah, I think Lynch writes really good uh, female characters. I do think yeah. he sexualizes women quite a bit. But um, but then he also like on the sh- show, one peaks I think he had good, and, and I think Lord Dern's character in Inland Empire is one of his better characters. Yeah. I, I think Mahalo Drive is okay. Well,
0: with, with the I, ladies, um, I'm trying to think. I would I, like the- I would say so. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I I would say so, and a lot of it has to do with a lot of it has to do with what the ends up happening in the second half of that movie. I guess I mean, a little uh,
2: his his exploitive sort of lesbian sex kind of undercut some of his like serious stuff. That's why he, that's why we brought I, it up.
0: I think that's a fair assessment.
2: But I think I think the one we're talking about. I think in the Empire, I think the female characters, uh, or Lord Durn's character is really, mm-hmm. really really a strong character.
1: Well, if I can uh, side note for that for a second, uh, sure. I know a lot of people who, uh, could have been Laura Palmer if things had gone differently, they had very poor lives and had a lot of abuse and things happen. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to betray any confidences, but I can tell you that uh, I've been told by people close to me that there are moments in Firewalk with me that are so real to them. Yeah, Yeah, Because because they can relate to (coughs) a very specific emotion that you never see in other films about abuse. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's one of the things I love about Twin Peaks uh, is that in the beginning, Laura is kind of a fetish object. She's yeah. just, she's a photograph and she's an idea, but finally in the film, we get to see her as a person and we get mm-hmm. to see what she really went through and why she made some of these questionable decisions because it was kind of like the only way to deal with what was happening.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think that sort of goes to, you know, one of the things that makes Lynch such an interesting... Uh, writer when it comes to female characters is it's like what are you what are you basing your what what makes him an interesting what makes anybody an interesting writer of female characters i mean you you think about like you you think about james hammer is you know famously held up as you know somebody who writes really strong characters but it's like if you think about that, really you're talking about physical strength with his characters, in most cases, not necessarily emotional.
1: Well, one thing that... uh, I'm fond of Kill Bill, don't get me wrong before I say this, but uh, there is a certain sense of it still being uh, an offshoot of a stereotype. Like, Mm -hmm. she is this physically strong woman who doesn't take a lot of shit and she, you know, is very capable but at the same time she still gets beat up and has to be a mother. And there's still this (laughs) sort of thing where... It's also an exploitation and It is is an exploitation thing, so it's one of those things where we're not really looking at her as a woman so much as an embodiment of an ideal. Mm -hmm. And Whereas I think a lot of Lynch's characters play with that in different ways. Like, Laura Palmer is very much an ideal, but she's also a real person that we get to see. Mm
2: -hmm. I think, now that we're talking about it, I think he's made best use like Lord Dern's Oh character. yeah, you haven't seen the return yet, no. but um, no,
1: she was fantastic
2: in it. Do You know who she plays? No. Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to ruin that. It's but
1: good. Uh, but yeah, her
2: character. Don't you? I mean, she she was a, a really big presence in, in the uh in the return. And mm.
1: uh, before that, I actually <coughs> was sort of of the opinion that I didn't really want to see that character brought into it. Like, yeah, it, yeah. I thought it was better just kind of. Uh, the yeah,
2: I'm curious to see what Brian ends up thinking of. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so we're trying to tap dance around. No, it. that's
2: fine,
0: that's fine. I that was I accused appreciate. of
2: like, uh, Emperor's New Clothing with it. <laughs> and I have to tell you, as a father of two little kids, I would not spend 18 hours on something I didn't like. I would turn mm. it off if I hated yeah. it. Off. I love the return. It, it, it totally delivered. But um, coming off of Inland Empire, um, I had a lot of expectations. and But at the same token, I was sort of just like,
0: let oh, just see what the hell really
1: he does with lynch yeah well and one of the things uh, i wanted to bring up about inland empire that i really love about it but it's also a bit trying is that it is so experimental because mm-hmm. a lot of what i love about lynch is the crispness of the images the composition and things like that right whereas this film's a lot looser and so on a, on just a purely technical level, I don't like it as much because it, it is a little more slapdash. But I also love that aspect of it because yeah. it is... <laughs> uh, the film I relate it to most closely is Bamboozled because it's this mm. feeling of this is an experiment. We're using new technology that's comparatively free yeah. and no studio would ever go for this. Yeah, so I mean, I let's just do it. When yeah. I saw it,
2: I thought more of like Godard and like people like that than I did like well, other was surrealists because like Buñuel and like other surrealists are very deliberate and like and even like uh, I don't really like Todorovsky. Like I, I I don't like I I like him okay, but
1: the Holy Mountain's great, and yeah, then the I, rest I, are just I, kind of okay. I just, I yeah, just,
2: <laughs> I don't. He's fine. I just mean, like, guys <laughs> like him, they're very deliberate. Like, yeah. I, I don't mean, like, a, I don't hate Jodorowsky. I just don't, like, I, I get tired of talking about him. And to <laughs> keep in, 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 uh, Lynch's, um, people who were inspired by Lynch, like Takashi Miike, like, their films are very, like, deliberate, and, like, but, but this has... Inland Empire is like the rhythm of like a guitar movie, where you're just like, oh, okay, now, now some news going on. Of okay, we're gonna spend twenty minutes with these people, but three minutes with these people.
1: And the Return has some of that too. Yeah, definitely. yeah. And, and, um, and I thought that was cool. But the reason I, I bring up Bamboozled specifically is oh, because of the digital <coughs> aspect of it. Right, oh, right. Because yeah. And you know the way Spike Lee made that movie was just like, we've got ten cameras, we're gonna cover everything, we're gonna do each shot like, we're gonna do each scene like twice. And then we'll just figure it out in editing, and it also is a very like deeply personal movie for him. Right. And I don't I don't know how much anyone wants to hear three white people talk about that movie, so I'll get off of it quickly. <laughs> but you know, like it's a, an analog to me because I can see this being you know from a respected auteur, but mm-hmm. it's very experimental. And oh
0: yeah, I can definitely see the I can definitely see why you would bring up bamboozled, uh, which is one of Spike Lee's. Most brilliant films. It I mean, it really, one of those is. striking, yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the technical, the, the way he shoots that film, like with M- Inland Empire, is a big part of the overall impact that that movie has. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I love. I'm I'm fascinated by how low tech Lynch went with using the mini DV camera. But also the fact that it looks as in its own way, it looks every bit as good as it looks any good. of his bigger movies. It
2: looks better on DVD. The theater,
0: yeah, looks good.
2: Yeah, uh, I remember my favorite quote from him. I mean, I, I'm paraphrasing, but when he said he hated uh, HD because he's like, you are watch a science fiction movie and you'll see screws <laughs> holding the sets together, <laughs> you see everything. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I, th- I think what I The reason I marked that one so high on my list of his films is because, like... I mean, Blue Velvet, once you've seen it ten times, I feel like I know it inside out. Yeah. It's like... It makes me... That's the only comparison I have with Andrei Tarkovsky with that film. Because, like I said, it's the complete opposite of Tarkovsky. It's not deliberate. It's not well thought out. It's just like... It's it's like jazz film. And I think that's what I love is every time I go back and watch it, I'm like, Oh, I forgot about the Polish guy with ketchup all over his shirt. Yeah. Well, (laughs) the
0: thing is, the, the comparison with Tarkovsky I think is very apt for Inland Empire. I mean, last late last year I watched all every one of Tarkovsky's films preparing for another podcast again and it's like especially with something like Stalker <coughs> and The Mirror. Right. I definitely see the and nostalgia even. I can I can see comparisons That's crazy. with uh this
2: isn't as sorry. Inland Empire. This isn't a Tarkovsky um, podcast, but it's crazy how much like, you you know, in the 80s and 90s, I didn't even know his name. I, like, the only time I ever heard of him was in In the Soup. There was a Solaris poster on the wall. Mm-hmm. That's how I, that's, that was my first, r- but it's crazy how much his influence is seen now in modern film. And, like, you, yeah. w- you wouldn't even think, but I mean, like, Terrence Malick, like, you look at his stuff. And, like, yeah, anyway. But
1: yeah, I kind of, like, I don't know, if you want to go to flow culture a bit more. I kind of feel the same way about the first Evil Dead movies, the first two, where, like, I've seen those movies dozens of times, but I still don't remember what order everything happens in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I can <laughs> never, it's never the same movie twice, because there's so many different side roads and things that I can never, like, mm-hmm. I can't say, oh, yeah, the blood flood is coming here, because I can't remember, there's just together. so much. Yeah. Yeah. And they're kind of meant to, I think. Yeah. But... Um, but
2: yeah, but yeah. Inland Empire means like that. It's like, and there's so many movies within a movie. I mean, there's so much going on. Mm. Like, I honestly don't know what the Polish mafia has to do with it.
0: Well, and <laughs> I, I, and and the thing is, it's like part of me wonders whether those scenes are supposed to be maybe scenes from the original production. Yeah. That never finished. I I started thinking about it in those terms when I watched it again the other day. Yeah. And it's so like that that is one of the few movie i i think it might be the only real movie uh david lynch has ever done where it's like there's truly there's nothing i i feel like any interpretation of that movie is almost valid like you can come up with you you can point to specific you you can find something about that, whether it's the narrative, whether it's whether it's individual scenes, the way individual scenes work, I feel like that's it's one of the few movies where it's like he's not really working with a roadmap, and I mean part of it is because of the way he created. It. Well, but... I
1: think it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, I've read a lot of interviews with him, and I've read Lunch on Lunch and stuff, and I get the impression, and I wouldn't want to put words in his mouth, but. I get the impression that when things are that abstract, I don't think he thinks that his version or interpretation is necessarily uh, authoritative. Like, I get the impression Mm -hmm. that anything you take from it is fine by him. Yeah. Because every time I hear someone mention something to him, and he'll say, (coughs) oh, that's not the way I interpret it. But he never (laughs) says you're wrong. Right. He always kind of says, well, I see it differently. And I honestly think that that's the place he's working from. Mm-hmm. I get the impression that whatever you take from it is fine by him.
0: Yeah, and I, I kind of got that impression off of him when I was watching uh, the documentary on him, the art life. Yeah, the yeah. art life. And I
2: still haven't finished. I need to watch that. That's really good. I've seen it all is. the other ones. I've seen um pretty as a picture and Lynch one and a couple
1: other mysteries ones. of love and stuff. Like yeah, that,
2: yeah, yeah. I've seen a bunch of. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Um now one so thing I oh, sorry I didn't uh, right, go ahead. one thing I did want to ask you guys uh I, in the end credits um it seems kind of like they're breaking character and just kind of having a party yeah and that's one of the things I like about it by the way but I kind of wonder do you think that maybe he might have been thinking this might be the last movie so let's have <laughs> fun with it like, I, I think that's probably part of it like I, I think I it, think there's
0: some truth to that I
1: I think about the that last uh scene in family plot where she looks at the camera and winks like there's oh, yeah. definitely a feeling of like <laughs> well i'm plot, not sure yeah. if we're doing this again so yeah what the hell
0: i i still haven't seen family plot it's i've so, got it as part of the universal oh, wow, box pretty, set but it's I thought it was fun i saw it when i was like
2: 15. I liked
1: it. it's you know it's like in the second tier but it's still right. really good yeah
2: right um you speak of that there's a lot of proto lynch films Whenever I meet people that are like love David Lynch, and like sure you can recommend them. Um, this might be useful to people. Like sure you can recommend like like I said Takashi Miike and uh, uh, you know Audition and Guzu. I'm butchering the Japanese, but um, but I think The Trial by Orson Welles, yeah. Three Women by Robert Altman, um, which was well he, he, no he wasn't making films at that point was he? Lynch. When
0: did Three movies. Women come out?
2: Like seventy two or something.
1: Well, yeah. I think he was making shorts around yeah, about
0: yeah, that he, time. Yeah, probably.
1: I think Six well, Sick wha- was about then, or 74, yeah. maybe.
2: But, but either way, like, Three Women is definitely like a pre-David Lynch, David lynch movie.
0: Three Women was 77, so it actually oh, came 77? out the same year as a okay. racer ad. Yeah, no yeah, that works. So, okay,
2: yeah. So he yeah. would have been, yeah. He would. But um, have you seen that one? Have you guys seen that one? No, I haven't.
0: I'm really... I, I have lots of gaps with Robert Altman. It's for, in the same... So. The, the
2: reason I brought it up is it transitions maybe we're working backwards in Mahalo Drive. It's a take on the uh, Persona, mm-hmm. uh, Lost Highway, uh, Mahalo Drive story with, like, two women. Right. It's called Three Women, but it's more yeah. or less about Sissy Spacek, and th- they have, like, sort of the Diane... Uh, what are their names in Mahalo Drive? Diane <laughs> Betty? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, sort of... It's not quite as abstract, but it's definitely, like, a pre-Lynch... Lynch. And there was a, there's something hmm. else I was thinking about, but, yeah, we, I, I know I, I've made both of you watch The Trial, right?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I own The Trial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, yeah. I, I, I got did it I get, as soon did I, as I could. Did I
1: get it? You, guys did it you, you, you lent it to me, okay. and then I bought it as soon as I could find it afterwards. Yeah, basically, yeah. same it's, with me. It's like this treasure <laughs>
2: that people don't know about. It's like, because when you think of Orson Walls, you think of, like, Lady from Shanghai and Stranger. I mean, on the second tier, below, yeah. like, the big ones, you think of those, and you think, like, yeah, they're fun movies. But, like... Trial's like so surreal and like it's so different. It's mm-hmm. so lynchy before Lynch. I mean and I don't think he was aware of it from what I understand. I've never heard him talk about but it.
1: I feel like the trial made the best use of his shooting style. The way he mm-hmm. always put the camera low and showed a lot of the ceiling and things. Yeah. The way he had that really deep focus. I think that's the best use of it I've ever seen. Yeah, I would definitely agree
0: with that. But it reminds mm-hmm. me so much of the
2: feeling of a racer and I don't think people Mm-hmm. I think more people should be aware of it. That's what I wanted to bring it,
0: it up. It is, it is is really a shame that like trial is never really, it you know it's a shame that like Criterion hasn't picked it up. By but on now the good side, like, anyone listening to this can go
2: pick up a copy for a dollar. Usually, like it's usually in the yeah. market, but and, and it's a, it's a good it's a good version. And it's also yeah. on
1: a lot of the uh, public domain streamers, like mm-hmm. the the apps that have uh, just kind of forgotten movies. You can usually find it in there somewhere. Yeah.
0: But the yeah, I mean the thing <coughs> I one of the things I love about the trial is that it is it is it is one of my favorite Orson Welles films. It's it's one of the great Orson Welles films. I think it is that makes it all the more disappointing that it isn't available. Yeah, um, I
2: mean I'm happy with my dollar copy because it looks. Oh yeah, bad. but like, I mean I would I'd still. Love to have a handsomely published. Yeah,
0: I would love to see Criterion get hold of. Yeah, it. I'm kind of almost surprised that they had him Orson
2: Welles said it was his favorite movie, but he said that about 10 movies.
1: Yeah. yeah, he just kind of... Uh, do you think it's whatever the last one was? Like
2: no, but he, he would often refer back to trial being really... like he was. Really yeah. Fun, I know he was really, really fond of that one. I know, because whenever I said that to people, they are like, well, he said that about F yeah. a fake at one point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and, like and <laughs> I like that
1: one, too. Yeah, yeah I do lot, as well. But, um, but yeah, I can... Uh, I can see that it's sort of having a lot of the same connective tissue, and it's a story about bureaucracy. So it, you know, it's not supposed to make literal sense, and yeah. it's supposed to be frustrating, and it's supposed to
0: really uh, kind of wear you out. I mean, and it's a Kafka story. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> it has to be. It has to be an influence on Brazil too. Like, oh, oh yeah, like, has absolutely. To be that.
2: Um, what are the? What are some? Uh, can you think of any other like proto like 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 earlier than Lynch that are still like on that sort? I mean, uh, Sunset Boulevard to some level that's his favorite movie, I guess,
1: right? Which if I, I can
0: I can definitely see the. It's a weird ass. I movie. can definitely see the influence of Sunset Boulevard on like people, Malone Drive and I think there's a Lost of of Highway and even and Inland power. Like, I, I don't think people ever. That.
2: I don't think everyone realizes how weird that movie. I mean, it starts with a monkey. Field. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's a weird ass
0: movie. It it really is, but it's an awesome movie. Yeah. It's it may be my favorite Dark, Billy Wilder well, film. The Dark
2: House is sort of like a nineteen forties horror like. David James Whale, yeah, James Whale's movie. It's like it's mm-hmm. the, where the, like the old man plays the old lady. It kind
1: of it has some budget well, quality Well, um, James Whale had a lot of that s- a similar composition style where you would kind of just move everything, lots of focus yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. So I think there's some of that there. <laughs> um, Now, I do see a fair amount of Hitchcock influence, but not in the way you would normally think. Right. Because Hitchcock was very methodical and very much like thinking every single detail out before the actors even showed up, whereas Lynch is much more about kind of getting in there and feeling it, Mm -hmm. uh, which was actually part of the reason I found his work so hard at first, because I was so used to... (coughs) I'm a huge Hitchcock fan, and so I was so used to that method and the idea of like... You, you can you can start driving without knowing where you're going? No, it's like, <laughs> it weird. There's definitely <laughs> a
2: line between, like, uh, Lance Bunwell and, 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 and Hitchcock. But yeah.
1: and some of the ways that he frames actors and some of the, um, like, I was watching Strangers from a Train recent or Strangers on a Train, excuse me, recently, and that and Shadow of a Doubt, in terms of composition, there's some similarities, mm-hmm. and I know he's mentioned Rear Window a few times in interviews, yeah. so, like, well, I know he's, like a he's seen a few. <laughs> Yeah,
2: it's pretty perfect. Yeah, I know. I know some of his favorite movies are. I know Fellini. He loves. Mm-hmm. or loves. He's not dead. David oh. Lynch is <laughs> At the time of recording this, he's still alive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know he loves Fellini. I know he loves Sunset Boulevard. Um, and
1: uh, he's made mention of a few things. Like I, I read an interview where he mentioned Terminator 2. Like so. That's he's a seen really good movie. He's though. seen a few. Yeah. He's seen a few mainstream things. You know. But that makes me think like
2: of when uh, when well got interviewed. They asked him what movies he and this was like in the 80s. He's like, I don't know, I saw one the other day, and I loved it. it had a big train in it. And that's all I could say. He's like, there's a train crash. <laughs> but he couldn't remember the name.
1: I remember, I told you about this. I, I remember I read an interview with uh, Guy Madden, and he said that uh, he saw some of um, uh, Sucker Punch on a plane and kind of liked it, and I was like, what?
0: No. I, uh, <laughs> to name drop, it I asked so Guy confused. Madden one time.
2: I said, I don't know if I'm supposed to say it, but I was like, What's your guilty pleasure? And he's like, America's home funny home videos <laughs> And he said that was his guilty pleasure, like he just to turn it on. I was like, don't feel guilty about that. <laughs> from,
0: from what I remember by Winnipeg, I could actually I I could actually kind of see that. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't I don't
2: think he's fairly <laughs> called the Canadian David Lynch. I think I I think I don't think they're like in the same world. I think mm-hmm. that's just because this stuff's weird. I think that's right. lazy, lazy and, and writing.
1: Cause Isabella Roslini was in one. so they Yeah, like, yeah he's yeah. really good
2: friends. I've tried to, like, I figure if I ever meet her, that could be my end. I could be like, that email pals was, hi, man, you want to be my friend? And <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> like. I always wonder why um, that, that ties me into Crispin Glover, um, He's friends with all of them. I, I always wonder why he didn't use Crispin Glover more other than Wild mm-hmm. at Like, they just seem like they're, like, a match-made in heaven. Lynch, I mean. Yeah. Like, yeah. David Lynch and Crispin Glover seem like a match-made in heaven. Maybe, like, you get too much weird in a room. Not, I hate to use <laughs> the pedestrian <laughs> word weird, but right. whatever. But like, maybe you get too much of that in a room. and It just, yeah, yeah. The,
1: the weight is too much. I, mean, like,
2: I can't wait for you to see the new one because it does show that, like, you know, you take an actress like Natalie Portman and you get her with a really good director and she's dynamite but you get her with a bad director and you get like a so-so performance yeah he gets performances out of people in the like jim belushi who i don't think he's a bad actor at all but like you don't expect it out of jim belushi and, oh like, yeah, in, uh, yeah and the guy from scream um
1: oh um yeah i just lost it too um which yeah. which guy the guy that played shaggy in the scooby-doo movies? oh uh matthew, matthew Lillard. Lillard? yeah he's okay like yeah. really
2: really good in, in the return all right uh, um like, he just gets, he, he's really good with actors, because, uh, he gets great performances. Out mm. and so we, like, not to, I'm, I feel like I'm taking this over for you, but we all, like, Mulholland Drive a whole lot, right? Yeah. yeah. Because I know, I know Inland Empire is like, a little smaller on your list, and yeah. I, I know you admire it, but, yeah, but, but like. What if we want to gush for a minute, that's when we all three
0: like
1: just <laughs> yeah, love, right. Well, and I think with me, there's a lot of that kind of thing. If like, if I don't take to something immediately, and if I really have to fight for it, <clears throat> then I love it more because, like I said, the first time I saw it, I couldn't stand it. Like You're I right? could, yeah, I couldn't get into it because it was too different from what I was seeing at the time. Right. And I needed to ease my way into it. And so now I really love it because I found the way in, and I kind of had to fight to mm-hmm. get there. But I think that
0: that's sort of like with me with Lost Highway is I think I wasn't used to that type of very abstract storytelling, and so I wasn't real. That's why that's why it just bounced right off of me mm-hmm. uh, when I when I first saw it. But now once I got into Lynch, once I had become more familiar with uh, abstract storytelling, surreal storytelling, uh, non-linear storytelling is the best way to put it. Um, I I appreciate more now than I did, and so it's like now that I can now I can appreciate things, even even something that I don't absolutely love like Inland Empire. I can still respect it a great deal. <coughs>
1: and you can see you the know. connective threads. Yeah. And- and it's strange because there's a lot of directors that have a similarity in style, and there's a, certainly uh, like a house style and a look and a feel, but it feels like all of his movies are connected somehow. Yeah, like they could all be in the same universe for all we know. Mm-hmm. Like. And uh, there's so many, like, specific, minute details that seem to carry over. Yeah. Like, when I was writing down notes, each of these movies, uh, like, I just wrote a note: electricity. At some point, <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, his
2: great, unmade masterpiece, Ronnie Rocket, is all about electricity. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, that's for the diehards. Like, that I know I've talked to you guys about that script. It's yeah. It's so weird. And, and
1: uh, I love the way... I'm uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But, like, the way... Uh, Unused ideas will resurface later. Like in the third season of Twin Peaks, there's a little bit of stuff from that. There's stuff from Once Alive. Oh, Bubble. yeah, there's a lot of Ronnie Rocket. There's there. a lot of ideas that uh, that didn't quite make it, and he just kind of repurposed them and put them hmm. in this new thing. And Okay. Um, Miguel
2: uh, Ferreira? Miguel Ferreira? Yeah, yeah, he says the full title of Ronnie Rocket because it's called. Something like Ronnie Rocket and the Absurd Mysteries of blah blah blah. It's like it's <laughs> got this really long yeah. name, and he says that. He says everything except Ronnie Rocket in it. Mm. Uh, and there's several references. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. There's several references to Ronnie. Okay. Ronnie Rocket. Um, did you read the script?
1: No. You did right. A long time ago. Yeah. I gave, did I
2: give it to you? Uh,
1: you? I think I found it on my own. beginning. You okay, okay. you're the one who told me about it, it first.
2: Yeah. Yeah, in our projection booth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had it printed up and sitting up there. Um. One thing about, you know, films in general is like I know you're big on nostalgia, you're about to do your nineteen ninety nine series, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean Well no, it, I, I just mean like No, I I am well yes, that is that premier, is gonna be my next big thing. But I mean I I have I'm interested I'm I'm getting more and more interest in the idea of uh revising revisiting things with a certain amount of distance and just seeing if there's a big change and how I view it. Okay. So I mean, I don't that know that would necessarily.
2: Well, that. I mean,
0: it was a big year in general. I mean, yeah. I, I think that I is one of the most. I didn't
2: know if it was most... partly because, like, what I was, the reason I was bringing it up is because, like, 2001 for me was like I was 22 in 2001, I guess, and that was when I was at my like, peak of my David Lynchness, where I like I was yeah. obsessed with him. So with Mulholland Drive coming out, it probably could have been garbage, and I would have loved it. Like I just yeah. loved him so much when that came out. So unlike you, where you came into it and you were like. And then you like like first viewing, I was just blown away. Yeah. I mean, except the fact that there was like swing dancing or
1: jitterbugging. <laughs> I, I, I still can't figure out exactly what to do with that. Because she but, wins the jitterbug but, but like, why are we open the film with that? Just well, see, strange. I
0: I have I I have a feeling that would have been the opening credits if it had been a TV series.
2: Because it was like it was. They oh, because it was it, yeah, originally a TV right, an yeah. ABC pilot, and it was like written around like ninety eight, ninety nine when the whole swing revival. Yeah. Going on. That's actually
1: something I hadn't thought about. You're
0: right. Yeah. I have a feeling those will have been the opening credits for the TV series if they'd been picked up. Well, and yeah, the
1: pilots usually have different credits than the. There's a pilot. They used to
2: have it at Video Drum in Atlanta. Yeah. They used to have the long, like, the two hour or whatever kind of the pilot. I've never seen Mm -hmm. that. I really want to. But yeah, so that one, when I saw that, I was like, I went back to see it like two days later, which I'm not like, you guys know, I'm not like, I don't watch movies overnight. There's certain yeah. stuff I revisit, but I wanted to go see it again. The week it came out on DVD. I bought it. I watched it two or three more times. Like I was kind of obsessed with Mahone Drive. Mm-hmm. And I, like, when people ask me like, what's his like, what's his best movie? I'm like, probably Mahone. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know best and favorites. But to me, it just like encapsulates everything he does well. Yeah. And it's pretty like palatable, and like mm-hmm. it's, it's a difficult film, but it's so good.
1: Like, if you take the best parts of all three seasons of Twin Peaks plus the film, that is a great entryway because it's a, it starts easier and easy, more digestible and gets crazier as it goes on. But that's, you know, many hours to sit through, whereas Mulholland Drive just kind of has all these things compacted into one film. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. I like the, um, that soap opera actor that plays the guy... Um, this is like a weird Mohan Drive connection, but you know, like when she goes into audition and she has to make out with that old guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's in.
0: that's the
1: name I didn't write down, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that
2: dude, he died recently, and I always think of him because I don't know if you guys have, have you ever seen that documentary How's Your News? No. It's about these like mentally challenged uh, group of kids that all start a news show, and it's really sweet. It was it was uh, produced by Trey Parker, so I thought it was like, oh, this is gonna be rough, right. but it's actually really sweet. But one of the actors. One of the kids in that is in love with that actor, and he gets to meet him in the movie. And I remember, like, they just came out around the... I saw him around the same time. I'm like, that's the dude from the long drive. <laughs> and, um, also, I love that... Uh, okay, so I one thing I love about that movie that I noticed right off is that was my introduction really to Naomi Watts. I had seen he, her... I mean, obviously, yeah. like, we probably saw her on Tank Girl, but I didn't remember her in Tank Girl. Like, I saw that movie when I was 13 Yeah, or I, I
1: just recently saw that again, and it was kind of like, oh, yeah, that is Naomi Watts, yeah... <laughs>
2: Yeah, like, I forgot, a um, Paltrow was a hook until two yeah. years ago. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. uh, you see people, and then, like, they don't... So that's not when she registered with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she registered with me in The yeah. on Drive. And I love that, like, since we don't... A lot of us didn't know who she was. Like, she doesn't seem like a very good actress at first. Like, like, right. like, like, like it's real campy, almost John Waters territory, mm-hmm. where she's like, <laughs> oh, wow, I'm so happy to be in Hollywood. And then when she has to act within the film, she's like, yeah. really good. Yeah. I don't know how intentional that, was, well, like that if, was, if that was conversations he had with her. Or if, I, w-
0: I would imagine it was very intentional. But I mean, I, yeah. <laughs>
1: with that in mind, though, I can also see why like ABC looking at the pilot going, oh, that's, your, that's a little too and golly <laughs> <laughs> for me. Yeah, But, you know, um, when you see the, the finished product and how it all works together, you really see her range. Yeah. But, um, she's
2: yeah. one of our best. I mean, yeah, like, she's Phenomenal. Yeah, she's great in The Return, too. She's got a huge part in it. Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, that's actually really interesting (coughs) because uh, that feeds into the the Hollywood thing because the two characters or versions of characters that she plays, uh, you know, uh, Betty is like uh, a very sort of uh, perfectionist view a fantasy, but Diane is more of a (coughs) down-to-earth thing, and I think it kind of gets the dichotomy pretty well well
0: and the thing is i i think one of the interesting things about Mohon drive and, and it's weird because watching i i feel like i i don't feel as much anymore and maybe it's because of the fact that i've seen it so many times maybe it's because of the fact that i have so i'm a little bit more familiar with it than other people would be i do kind of feel like if I almost feel like that might be one of the... If you're going to introduce somebody to David Lynch, that's actually not as challenging an entry point as it seems.
2: Mohan mm-hmm. Dray? Mohan yeah, Drive. Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: yeah. And part of it is because of the fact that, A, you've got all of the surreal aspects of it. You've got all of the nonlinear storytelling parts of it. But it really tracks into a very... It, it all comes together in a very streamlined way once you get to the end of it. I mean, what you were saying as far as the difference between Betty and Diane, it's like the two parts of the Naomi Watts characters and that is that Betty, you know, the way I sort of look at it is like, Betty is every actress when she first gets to Hollywood. Right, yes. Diane is when you realize you're, uh, hopes and dreams for making it big sort of fall apart.
1: So there's a story I read recently at, while we were preparing for this, and I haven't <clears throat> backed it up with a couple of other sources, so it might it might be half BS. But uh, apparently, like she was about to be evicted from her apartment um, before Mulholland Drive came out, mm. and she was about to pack it up and go back to I, I forget where she's from. But, you know, uh, like how, what a perfect metaphor for yeah. the the person <laughs> you see on the screen versus the life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think that that speaks to a lot of people who have any kind of artistic ambition is you, uh, even if you get maybe just a moment of glory, people don't see the other side of it where you're struggling. Right.
2: Another thing about, um, Mahal Drive and Lynch in th- general is, uh, you know, we were talking about directors like Hitchcock, who's like definitely a good. You know, people consider him more of a technical director, a lot of people more than like, mm-hmm. you know, like like I think Godard famously called him a technician or something. He's not an artist, he's a technician. I think that was Godard. But, um,
1: that sounds right. But yeah, how yeah.
2: like, like, like <laughs> as free flowing and jazzy as Lynch is, but how technically is like mm-hmm. phenomenal I mean, you look at. You, you, you know, you and your wife are huge fans of horror film. You look at what tries, people try to scare people with. Yeah. And then, like, that stupid guy in the whole drive in the dumpster. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's ridiculous, but it's really scary. Like, like, yeah. Like, it comes up, and it's like, if you look at a still of that, like, the makeup is, like, silly. Yeah. And, and just, I mean, it seems in Lost Highway with the music and everything. Like, he's so good with editing and, like, just making you feel terrible. Well,
1: and I think also um, it almost feels like he's trying intentionally to undercut how scary that is because he names the restaurant Winkies and there's just all this absurdity surrounding it, and then you have this one moment that's genuinely terrifying, and everybody kind of strikes a chord with everyone.
0: Well, and and the thing is, the the thing about that scene that's so fascinating is because yeah, it's it's named Winkies, and it's also very. It's a very familiar and uh, silly idea of like, oh, telling somebody your, you know, the idea of telling somebody your dreams, uh, your a dream that you yeah. had, and then you see it actually, and then it's the, the part that makes that, that starts to, where Lynch really starts to bring things together is the realization that you're all of a sudden seeing what he's just described happen.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and uh, one thing that I really have come to love about Lynch, uh, just in general, is uh, especially I see a lot of horror movies, and at the time we're recording this, uh, supernatural horror is in vogue. Haunted House movies are yeah. almost everything that they make now, and it seems like they all have a very specific path, and they all draw from the same mythology, with the exception of like Hereditary and a yeah. few other standouts. Yeah. It's mostly all from the very Judeo-Christian model, and... There's a lot of, like, explaining rules that they later break, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and as much as I love Buffy, like, there's a certain absurdity to, like, oh, I have a book that explains that. Oh, and yeah. All <laughs> the answers are always <laughs> there, and I kind of love that, that... There's that, Ex Machina? Is yeah, yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> there's There's always an Ex Machina somewhere, and I love that you never quite... there's n- There might be a little bit of an explanation somewhere with the Blue Rose thing or something, but you never get a full picture of what's going on and you have to Mm -hmm. kind of fill in the gaps yourself and you have to do some work and I love that it's sort of open to interpretation. Because one of the things that kills uh, horror movies, especially franchises, is they'll set very clear rules in one film and then either in the same film or the next one, they'll just completely go back on all of that. Mm -hmm. And I kind of love that there's so much room for your own imagination here.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Well, like... As a, you know, Brian's also a composer, like, as a musician, like, you look at a band and, you, and you're, and you like, you can figure out people's tricks, you know? Like, you're like, oh, I know what he did there, he's doing this. And, and, like, you know, we look at films the same way, and I guess that's one thing I love about Lynch is I can't get my finger on his tricks he does. Because, like, he th- he, it, his films are, like, silly and absurd, but, like, you still manage to have this, like, really, like, tangible care for characters that you probably shouldn't mm-hmm. and like that's what i mean like that's where that's like where his masterfulness comes in is where you're just like yeah like like in the whole scene in and, and, and the drive like my favorite i've made this very i've i wrote about this in creative loving my favorite scene in probably any of his movies is club silencio where they wake up in the middle of, for people that haven't seen it they wake up in the middle of the night uh lord thern i mean Laura <laughs> Herring, Laura Herring, and, yeah. and Naomi Watts, and they just, she just decides to drive out to this like nightclub, and then the scene proceeds, and it's like, it's so good, and it, and, and like you you, f- you feel for the characters even though you don't even know what they're going through, and like mm-hmm. he's so good with that stuff. Well,
1: and and uh, there's another sort of bridge to someone like Spike Lee, where the characters in his films go through things that I can't imagine because they're so far from my worldview. Yeah, but I can for a moment, get a small taste of what they're going through and what their life is like, and I feel a connection and a deeper emotion than I normally would, because a lot of times when filmmakers take <coughs> on these tough subjects, like abuse and racism and things like that... Or a sax
2: player, where it wise. Yeah, you know, they,
1: <laughs> like they tend to just sort of skin the surface of things, Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I love the way that Lynch really gets in there deep, and I like uh, being able to emotionally relate to something that's outside of my experience and to see the world from another person's perspective and mm-hmm. to get a little bit of the heart of another human being. And I feel like Lynch does that a lot, where I get this sense of maybe not him specifically, but a character or someone he knows. It's sort of I feel like I'm connecting to someone else mm-hmm. as opposed to just going like, uh, a, a movie with These some, things are
2: happening.
1: Yeah, a movie with a jump scare, like, oh, okay, yeah, that's done. you know. But you know, it doesn't have a lasting impact.
2: My wife's favorite part in Mohan Drive is a cowboy. When <laughs> yeah. the cowboy. That's great, yeah. And cause I can't think of that, what he actually says, but she loves that part where he says, "Think about that." He's like, "All right, I'm thinking about it." And she goes, "He says."
0: That. Now, right. are you thinking about it? Yeah. Are you really thinking about, or are you just saying that you're thinking about because that's what I want you? You're saying. just being a smartass. Yeah, yeah. So he has
2: that line where he says, "No, you're not. You're too busy being a smart yeah, yeah, that's right. So I think that's yeah. really funny. Yeah. That's her favorite uh. scene. And it is a
0: really fun. My scene. least
2: favorite. I have to say my least favorite <laughs> segment, which is really funny, the part where he accidentally shoots the maid when the, yeah. the, the hitman. Yeah. Like that totally felt like it was just in the show, and he was like, "I don't want to lose this." Like it would have probably worked in the show. Oh it, yeah.
1: This nothing to do with the rest of the movie, but it is funny. It's yeah, funny. It but every time I go back and revisit, I'm like, "Oh,
2: this is that part that it's like the girl with her like erect nipples, and they're standing outside." That's all like leading up to that part, right? Yeah. 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 And mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's, I like Billy Ray Cyrus in it, too. I think it's funny. That's the
1: only time I've ever liked Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, even as a like, person. I don't know. Well, well, you, d- do you know the story about this. Apparently, uh, this was you. the first uh, acting job that he ever got, and that's kind of what inspired him to uh, get his family into show business. And so <laughs> oh. when Miley Cyrus was having all of her uh, tabloid troubles, he publicly denounced The Devil and David Lynch for leaving his family to ruin. <laughs> oh, and man. I think The Devil and David Lynch would make a wonderful title for it, a play. It really like, would. Yeah, that's I, good. Just, well, I don't that's good. know yeah. I feel, that's...
2: like I'm really kind of mad at Mark... At Mark... Uh, I love Jesus Wahlberg. Yeah. How he's denounced, like, his best film, Boogie <laughs> Night. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, dude, you've played, like, a dipshit... You produce a show about dipshits, Like, the, um... <laughs> Entourage. Entourage. Yeah. And you've played, like, a much a rapist like a bro in like 90% of your movies but you're one like piece of artistic yeah whatever but I didn't know that Billy Ray Cyrus <laughs> denounced Lynch. yeah I yeah. didn't
0: I didn't know
1: that and but that's <laughs> funny because everyone else in the world except for Michael J. Anderson has nothing but good to say about <laughs> David Lynch like yeah that was that, the Michael J. Anderson
2: thing was pretty out of nowhere
1: I have uh, I, I wouldn't want to say this publicly because I don't know for sure but <laughs> I've uh, spoken to some people who've kind of know him, and there are some rumors about his mental condition, mm. and I'd, I'll just stop there, that's cause I'm already digging myself too big a mm. hole, but um, I actually intervi- I interacted with him on Facebook a few times, and he was really nice to me, so, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I personally have nothing bad to say about him,
2: Yeah, uh, he was missed from the series, but they replaced him with that so that was pretty cool. <laughs> you have
0: seen
1: it, but he's replaced with a stick. I, I think Facebook has probably given him an image or something yeah. I, right
0: now. I I I am now absolutely. I I feel like I need to start this as soon as possible it's, because it's, yeah, I'm missing out on well, so much.
1: And
2: uh, it, it's, too, it's too long. It's not perfect, oh, but it's
0: great. right. But
1: um, there's. <laughs> Like I don't, um, I think I say this without destroying anything. There's a couple parts in the Roadhouse where you have characters you never see again, just talking about other people they know. Well, you know, can't figure out what has to do with anything. Where, like, you know, David
2: Lynch, like you don't expect him to just try to please fans, like right? But, but he does that. But then he also, fr- like, he th- without giving it too much away, there's certain characters where you're just like, oh, really, Lynch? You just laid that out for them, like, like, mm-hmm. like there's stuff with um. Audrey and stuff, where you're just like, oh wow, okay, you're just gonna. But then there's stuff with like characters that are like main characters that it just seems like he's like slapped the audience in the face. <laughs> but I don't, I didn't not enjoy any of it. I just, I don't think I would go back and rewatch that anytime soon. But I, but yeah, you definitely need to get around to it. Yeah, it's got Michael Sarah's best role in years. Uh-oh. Well, the thing I, I <laughs> you'll know of, when you see
1: it. Well, one of the things I do love about uh, that. Series is that a season is that I love that it isn't trying to be a fan service
0: thing. Right. I love that there is right. so
1: much of this is just what we want to do, and if you don't like it, there's the door. I,
0: I would be disappointed in David Lynch if I felt like it was fan service. I, I mean, I really would. Of that. There's,
1: there's, there's a little Yeah, like,
2: but, I, I mean, mean, you're like,
1: you know. So even when I was frustrated with it, and even when there were things I didn't like, I still was happy that he was doing something that was unique and true to himself, Yeah. and Mark Frost, of course. Uh, but I love that they were doing something that World they Mark wanted. <laughs> like, I, I feel bad because he has so much of a stake in this, and yeah. he, so much of what Twin Peaks, what made that show great, is him, but he doesn't quite get the same accolade. Right. And I get the impression from what I've seen on Twitter and stuff, I get the impression that he's Kind of okay with being in the background a little bit more, but yeah. I still feel bad because you know it's like uh, David Lynch is in sixteen point font and he's just like it's there like Roger like
2: Avery in Pulp Fiction, man. Yeah, like yeah. Everyone's like Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, and like Roger Avery's like, man, I wrote the story, but whatever. You know, I, <laughs> and the story. Yeah, I
1: wrote half of that and too, man. Yeah, <laughs> like probably the same. Time. My Oscar's the same size. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, um, and uh, I do kind of. Uh, one thing I did want to bring up since since we're about on Twin Peaks for a minute is that um, that has made me, that season has made me change the way I look at all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about it feels kind of like a culmination. And my wife has this theory that it's like uh, a Rosetta Stone and when you crack that you can understand everything else. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's quite that literal but there is definitely a feeling of That this is like a master's thesis, and this is everything I've learned up to this point put together. And um, you mean as
0: far as Lynch's career in general? Yeah, I feel like it's
1: kind of, and it's hard to explain without you having seen it, right? And without saying something that might kind of spoil too much. But, um, like a lot of people, the when they uh talk about Mulholland Drive and when they talk about Inland Empire, there's uh, a fairly common theory about this part is a dream, and this part is this, and this part is that, and people mm-hmm. kind of think they have it figured out, and yeah, um, and they use uh, those ideas to interpret Twin Peaks. Based on that, but Twin Peaks has made me change the way I interpret Mulholland Drive. <laughs> like uh, when I saw the film again, it's very different now, because hmm. it expanded my ideas of what it could be. Okay. And that, again, is hard to say without right. giving away too no. much and getting too into the minutiae of it. But there's uh, definitely, it's changed my view of all of his
0: work. Okay. All
2: right. I don't know if I have that same um, <laughs> <laughs> experience uh, with, No, I'm just saying, I don't know if I had that same experience with it. Okay. But I, um, I did, I, I do think it's, I don't know, never mind.
1: That's okay. Um,
2: um, I get what you're saying, though.
1: And uh, well, I guess to bring it back to Mulholland Drive a bit more, yeah. um, my wife has a theory that the uh, that, that uh, those characters like Michael J. Anderson, whose name I can't remember, the character's name I can't remember. I think he's just called the man the room or something. Yeah, I think, yeah, I it's think it's so. I don't think he has a
0: name actually. And like Dan
1: Hiday and, yeah. and Badalamenti, these characters <laughs> who seem to be like mafia figures, her theory is that they're from a different plane of existence like like the man from another place and the fireman and all that and the mystery man from um uh the Dumpster? No no the um Robert Blake's character oh, yeah. in Lost Highway oh, she movie, yeah. thinks that they are interdimensional characters hmm. and that they like I can't figure out exactly why they want this whole thing to work out and why hmm. Camilla Rhodes getting the role is important but um, there is there does seem to be a similar feeling about these characters coming
0: from some
1: other place. And
0: right. Well, and, I mean, I, I think as far as that, I mean, first of all, you once, again, it goes back to David Lynch basically skewering Hollywood. Basically the idea of, you know, Hollywood producers, people who don't actually, you know, they, they put up the money, they don't necessarily have brave input into the movies, telling them Telling a filmmaker, "Oh, by the way, this person's gonna be in your movie." It's not your. It's not up to you. Yeah. This is this is the girl. It's
2: like that scene in Ed Wood. Yeah. (laughs) That's actually
0: very perfect example. Yeah. yeah. Where they like stick in there like his
2: brother in law or something like
0: that. Yeah, that was. He's a little slow, but a real good boy. But yeah, I mean, when when you when you look at in in the context of and especially when you consider the fact that Betty's somebody who the uh <clears throat> casting agents take to that set yeah and sh- like she's going to you know she she's gonna be possibly uh auditioning for that role, but like after but like he sees Camilla and makes the called this is the girl. Before that, like you sort of, you sort of get the feeling that it's like this is another part of her Hollywood dream. Sort of like her trying to rationalize her Hollywood dream falling apart. Yeah. As well. Diane's rationalizing. That.
1: And uh, like even the scene before that, she does this really marvelous audition. Yeah. And on the way out, there's like, oh yeah, it's a shame they're never gonna make that picture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> throwing it out the window. Yeah, and uh, and I love, by the way, that the car from Sunset Boulevard is in the establishing shot of that scene. Like, mm. I love that's a great detail that really makes the, me happy. Who plays the
2: director in that audition scene?
1: I don't remember. I can't remember either.
2: He looks like Albert Brooks or something. That's like, that's like one of those little like roles I love, where he's just like they're like, they're like basically jabbing with a stick. Like, say something. He's like, oh yeah. That's yeah. That's like that's one of my favorite parts. And I love, yeah. I love that older. Yeah.
0: Actress. The the way the director reacts. It, like, he's not even really paying attention. It's like, good. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's very generic director speech. It's like music producers sometimes, like, <laughs> yeah. keeping
2: their head down when you're doing something. Oh, yeah, I'm listening.
1: <laughs> I remember uh, I heard a story that Arthur Penn, uh, apparently Arthur Penn would like, to do, would like to do really strict rehearsals. And so by the time you got to the set, you pretty much knew what everybody wanted. and expected. Right. And uh, I heard a story that after one take, he went to an actor and said, do that again, just like that, but good this time. <laughs> but because they've rehearsed it so much, they knew exactly what he meant. Like, oh, yeah. okay, all right, yeah, because yeah, we worked it out. But right. Um, One thing that I was uh, struck with was uh, Laura Herring's character Rita. I think it, it's interesting that uh, she is a blank slate, you know, because yeah. literally she has amnesia, and you can sort of poser And whatever you want, but mm-hmm. she's always so impeccably made up. And she's even in the other uh, timeline, if you want to look at it yeah. that way, uh, she's still where she's Camilla, she is still impeccably dressed, mm-hmm. perfect makeup. She is this embodiment of a fantasy woman, right. In both uh, timelines, and there's uh, I remember there's a quote from um, Rita Hayworth where she said that she would often find men who were disappointed to wake up next to Rita Hayworth when they'd gone to bed with Gilda. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea that um, they're kind of playing with that. Yeah. That Rita is this empty void that you can make into whoever you want. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think of Vertigo a little bit and Marnie and all these things where someone is manipulating a woman into this uh, perfect ideal. Right and uh so like I do sort of agree with your point about the lesbian thing kind of undercutting <laughs> the feminist aspect a little bit but yeah, I, I still think do, the Betty
2: uh, character's great but I love mm-hmm. uh that well,
1: we're playing with that idea of um you know forcing your ideals into this uh vessel this blank of a person
0: mhm well and the thing is I going back to what uh Jeffrey was saying earlier when about the uh club silencio scenes right. like it it makes sense that that i feel like it almost makes sense it you need that scene to happen after they they've had this love scene between one another right. and the thing and the thing about that is that, is that i don't feel like that scene is the the nice thing about that movie the I never, I have never, I don't really feel like the, the lesbian stuff in that it's gratuitous. Oh, no. I don't I think it's that. exploitative. No. I think no, it's, no. it's, it's just, it's very natural. It's very, it's, it's very in keeping with the way Lynch has built up that relationship. And so it's, and so the fact that Club Silencio basically happens like at their, happiest moment in Betty or I should say Betty and Rita's happiest moment after that's happened, then that's so club silencio basically starts to bring <clears throat> reality back. It you, you're, it's basically saying you back into reality Yeah. because after that is when, after they get home from club silencio, we don't see Betty again. And then the next thing that happens after she finds, like, the box and the key and all of that stuff, then we get into uh, Diane's life. And things start to fold. The Mobius strip starts to come back onto the other side.
1: Yeah. And uh, one thing about Lynch that I do like in general, and there's a couple of exceptions to this, like in Wild Apart, but for the most part, when he has scenes with nudity, they're not done in the same way that most directors right most directors want to capitalize on it as much as possible mm-hmm. because that's kind of a draw and they're it seems almost like they're uh just trying to get a good shot so it can be on celebrity skin later and <laughs> or um mr skin or whatever it is you know yeah. like it it seems almost like they're trying to take full advantage of this beautiful naked person mm-hmm. for the mouth breathers in the audience and. Like and I, I like uh, a silly exploitative movie as much as the next guy. I, I yeah. do love dumb horror movies and I get it. Well I don't think but, that it
2: was even like known I, I didn't know if that scene was gonna happen going into Mohawk Drive, whereas like Black Swan, that's all you heard about. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, and you were like, Hey, guess who kisses <coughs> in this movie?
0: And that you know, and that scene, <laughs> Or Spring
2: Breakers or somewhere you like knew before you even went in that like the but, Well and the thing
0: is I had heard about this scene. I I'd read about the scene, I'd heard about the scene but by the time this scene got there, like that was not where I wasn't I didn't find myself waiting for that scene while I was <laughs> watching the movie. You're not sitting All with of a sudden drafts. I'm already I'm I'm sucked into the movie yeah. to where when that scene happens, it's like, okay, here's here's where this here's why this scene is mattered. But most of Lynch's sex
1: scenes are much more uh realistic and sympathetic yeah than just in general. Like
2: well his first nudity mm-hmm. was probably blue velvet.
0: Oh yeah. And like, that's like yeah. based
2: on that real thing where like he was like as a yeah. boy, some woman came running out of her house naked and he knew there was he, he always told that story about her. Right. He knew yeah. something was wrong that it wasn't like cool that she was naked. <laughs> that <laughs> probably explains some why.
1: kind of uh, a break in the domesticity, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean that and we can we can uh start touching a bit on blue velvet um with that being said and and yeah sort of you know that's i mean that if you watch i remember i remember reading and <clears> hearing <throat> about Roger ebert Siskel and Ebert's uh yeah, views on blue velvet yeah. and just that like they they were they hated it they thought it was morally objectionable and all of that stuff but it's like I I watched it again about a month ago, and I'm like, this is not like th- this. This movie is not like playing. It's it's not you know the this the scenes where Isabel Rossellini's naked and all that stuff. It's like that's not titillating. Yeah, that's not, that's not, that's not, that's not that's sexy I thought Gene Siskel
2: liked it a little more. I can't remember. I yeah, it. I think
0: Especially he did he too. Did, yeah. I don't think
2: but. he recommended it, but I think... Um,
1: yeah, um... He wasn't as violently opposed yeah. as Ebert was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: The fun thing about Blue Velvet, that's a that's usually a good one for people who aren't into weird movies, for lack of a better word, <laughs> esoteric, whatever, um... Because it's it's pretty it's almost kind of like a Hitchcock film. It's like pretty straightforward. Yeah. The weirdness comes out of the characters and like like Frank Booth and mm-hmm. Dorothy Vallens and um, I mean there's definitely weird elements. I mean it, any movie where it opens with like a like a high schooler finding an ear. Yeah. It's kind of out of the box, but like it more or less it's a pretty straightforward film. I mean mm-hmm. it's not um. Well, one of my I- favorite details about it is that scene. When you see all the industrial stuff going on in the shadows, yeah, like I guess they just shot that with like, little cardboard like cutouts. Yeah. Like they just like put like a high-powered flashlight. Mm-hmm. I think stuff like that's funny.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, <coughs> I uh really, uh, I'm very impressed with Dennis Offer's performance as Frank Booth because yeah. Frank is one <coughs> of uh a very small handful of villains in movies that really scare me. Yeah. Because like. I I see the the nun in the new Conjuring movie. I'm like, yeah, it's creepy. Whatever. Yeah, you know, I, I shrug <laughs> it off. Like the it's like guys
2: like Frank Booth exist. Like there's yeah. like terrible rapist guys that exist. Even mm. <laughs> um
1: like even you know Bob who's really scary. He is a supernatural entity, and there's this feeling that he's far removed from our reality. Yeah. But Frank could be real. Oh yeah. And that's a so. Uh, disarming and it's so weird because he seems to be very passionate and he seems to love music and pop culture and like uh, in, there's a Bizarro World version where we get along really well but um, but this <laughs> guy is like, just so he hates here
2: in. He, Uh yeah yeah. Um, yeah it's a really I think it's one of his best characters he's written um, mm-hmm. one of the funniest I mean it's like um, I mean those rape scenes are like terrifying, but they're also ridiculous. I mean, mm-hmm. and you, I mean, I got you know, any hardcore Lynch fan knows the uh, you know, the story about the gas, how it's gonna be helium at one point, right? Yeah, have you ever heard that? No, I haven't so heard it was that. written as helium, and on I think it's on the Blue Velvet special features. Dennis Hopper's like, just how crazy is Lynch <laughs> that he thought that this character should carry around a helium tank because all helium does <laughs> is affect your voice, it yeah. doesn't
1: do anything to your brain, so and also just imagine you know. You know, like yeah. the high-pitched voice would be, um, <laughs> like so bizarre. Dennis
2: Hopper changed mm-hmm. it. He was like, yeah. he was a drug addict, so he was like, why didn't he just carry around it? like? And he's like, sure, go with that. But he's like, like imagine did a different movie that is. Yeah. Like every time he sucked in that gas. It, gun, it like, would've like, been
0: it would've been dark comedy. Yeah. Like it would've it, been it would've been absurdist dark comedy as well. That's very and I'm kind of yeah. glad
2: they changed it. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it would've.
1: I think it would have tipped the scales a little too much. Frank needs to be scary. Yeah. And And
0: if you if you have him talking in a high pitched voice because of helium for (laughs) most of the movie, it's just funny and weird.
1: Well, and that's one of those things that, as an idea, something to talk about, I think is hilarious. But I don't think it would have worked in the movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently, like they did a couple takes that way, and there was just something wrong. And yeah. So he's like, well, I know drugs. I know what I've done. I know what it can do to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just trust me. And like, okay, you know, and they did it, and it worked out. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I think it's really interesting that uh, Dennis Hopper, especially at that time, because this is pre Hoosiers and all that. Yeah. Um, he was considered a very sort of dangerous figure because he, yeah, <coughs> uh, reputation and yeah, mm-hmm. he you know he was a in most cases a terror to work with, and he had the drug problems and all this stuff so in a very it was a very apt casting in a way
0: yeah well and, and I'm the the, podca- well, the podcast one of the podcasts I'm listening to 80s all over is talking about has started to talk a little bit about Hopper yeah and how like you know the sort of early to mid 80s is when he started to reinvent himself after really falling off the cliff because of drugs and all of that and
2: culminating with Mario Brothers Oh yeah, yes. so Yes, yes. <laughs> I really like him in Waterworld.
0: Yeah. I like Bone Speed. He, he has a he has, oh yeah yeah. He's good. Yeah. yeah.
2: In Waterworld, he has the best line of any villain. He says, "Man, this guy's like a turd that won't pluck." <laughs> <laughs> Remember
1: that? He's um, and and I, I know you know I, I make a lot of jokes about the cigarettes and stuff, but like he's really good in that movie. Great. Yeah.
2: yeah. Waterworld's underappreciated. Um, but yeah. um... <laughs> yeah blue velvet that was the first one i loved because i like i'm like you i went to go see lost highway i enjoyed it i loved it i mean I, I liked it a lot and i was intrigued to see more and then i went back and that was the first one because when i went back and saw a couple mm-hmm. i was like wow this one's really this is something here yeah and that's kind of one that got me hooked. i
1: think i had the same basic feeling because i saw a lot of them at around the same time but um that was one of the first ones that i could really go okay i see where he's going with this and i see what he's trying to do right and then it made the uh more obscure uh or um uh the the more bizarre things kind of easier because i have a link now right and you know i I I love films and things so (laughs) yeah That's cool. Uh, This is a really good movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, like, it was, you know, it was so easy to uh, use that as a link to to the other things Mm -hmm. because uh, there's so much about that movie that I can relate to. And, like, I understand detective stories. I understand, you know, and I, I love that I don't entirely understand the plot. Like, yeah, I don't know it's, what the drugs it's, it's one of the, thing it's one of is the, all about. Yeah, it's yeah. one
0: of those film noirs where it's like you do kind of lose the plot a there, little there's bit. There's a bit of a, like, a big sleep in there yeah.
1: where you're just kind or of... It's like,
0: okay, uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: is. and uh, that's kind of what I love about it. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I found that very inspiring, too, for uh, something I wanted to write. There's a detective story that I had in my brain that I could never make work because uh it was inherited from the general idea came from a greek uh myth and i was like well the plot's too thin it's never gonna work and then somewhere along the line i was watching blue velvet and like oh wait i can just make it all about the characters and sideline the plot as much as possible and people won't notice yeah Yeah, you know and um so it was one of those it, it was partially just personally gratifying like Ah, uh, thank you. You've helped me uh, unravel this thing now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um... I mean,
0: for me, for me, Blue Velvet is a movie I think I respect more, and I genuinely love. I I think it's a very good film, but I don't know that. I it's it's not something that I, I mean, it is. I I recognize it as a very well made film and a very fascinating film, especially even in the, especially in the, uh, filmography of Lynch, but I don't know that it, it doesn't have the, even, even something that I think is not as good like Inland Empire, I, I can't get Inland Empire on my head. Like when I watched Blue Velvet about a month ago, I'm like, okay, I didn't remember a lot of this movie, <laughs> but I remember a lot of Inland Empire. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so even if I don't necessarily love Inland Empire as much as say Jeff does, <laughs> I, I, I am never gonna forget Inland Empire, and I, and it's because of ultimately, even if I don't think it's a great movie, I think it's it it just has a pull with me that it's there's a reason it's in my collection mm-hmm. and it's because of the fact that it just had it had an unusual impact on it on me that just I I didn't expect and uh and and just is is something that I do want I do revisit every once in a while because of the fact that it's just so fascinating to me
1: well, um, for me there were a couple of individual scenes that really stuck in my head, like uh, Dean Stockwell, um, Yeah uh, with In Dreams and uh Sorry. and Brad Dorf with that dead snake in the background and <laughs> like isn't
2: Jack Vance, he's, he's, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's in the gang. Right?
1: Yeah, he's in the gang too, yeah. And there's yeah. like some of the Joyride stuff and the um quoting love letters with the lipstick on his face. Like, a lot of these images are just burned in my brain in mm-hmm. such a weird way. And, you know, the first time I saw that, I didn't know the song Love Letters. So, you know, uh, I, you know, I heard it later and it sort of seemed familiar. And then I saw the movie again, like, oh, okay, <laughs> now I get yeah. the whole straight from a gun thing, yeah. They
2: use that Love Letters in the Killing Me Softly movie in a slow motion scene. It kind of bugged me. Because <laughs> it's so, to me, Love Letters, and and that Robertson song in dreams are like
1: they're kind of owned by this
0: film. Yeah, yeah, it'd be like yeah.
2: it be like taking like singing in the rain, clockwork orange. Or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it like once someone's used. To it, <laughs> it's kidding.
0: <of, laughs> but but no, you're absolutely <laughs> right about clockwork orange and singing in the rain. It's, it's like, like all I think it, about. It now. basically, I know, like and even like, even like, though the, stuck the movie, in the movie with is, with dogs, there's
2: just like mo- yeah. there's just songs that yeah, that was a bad example, but there's just songs <laughs> that are like in a movie that you're just like it you're like becomes its thing and like it just was weird like Killing me softly wasn't that bad of a movie mm-hmm. it was that Brad Pitt picture. yeah the, uh, that but dream. no that was
0: no i mean singing in a rain is a fantastic example because it's okay. a weird example because obviously there's also the singing great the rain. like well this movie is probably a, a closer to the bone kind of example yeah stuck, stuck in the, in the middle of with you yeah closer yeah to the
1: bone there yeah i don't
2: I feel like I've talked too much about Quentin Tarantino as But the
0: thing is, if somebody told me that what they remembered about singing in the rain was Clockwork Orange, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I wouldn't it wouldn't time. strike me as unusual because the way Kubrick uses that mo- that song is almost as is every bit as iconic as the, the original June origins. <laughs> right. So yeah. Speaking um, of that,
2: I think it's really funny that, um, that here's Johnny line got into Shining, but because Kubrick didn't know that that was a reference to the yeah. you know, I, that he'd never seen that. I just think <laughs> that's hilarious, um, uh, But yeah, yeah. The, but yeah, I think, uh, Blue Velvet definitely has like really iconic music. They mm-hmm. re-recorded, um, Blue Velvet with Bobby Vinton had to like change the temp, like they had to ch- I mean, change the, the pitch of it, the pitch because yeah. his voice had dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, um,
1: well, one thing I think is interesting that we have that we're talking about that and Inland Empire in the same discussion because I feel like um, while they're both great, Inland Empire is very experimental, and uh, whereas Blue Velvet is, in some ways, him at his most disciplined. Yeah. Because you know he made essentially a four-hour movie and then cut <coughs> it in half. Mm-hmm. You know, like he had it in. Uh, it was in the contract that it couldn't be over two hours, and I think I read it that it's one frame under two
0: hours. Like yeah, it's, he it's cut it right the there. It and is right there.
1: I love the idea that, you know, I made this really crazy, unwieldy thing, and I cut it in half, and I delivered this product. Um, yeah. And it's kind of a great marriage of, uh, of art and commerce, because, like, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure he could have made a four-hour movie that would have been great, but I kind of like that he... Cut it back. The same thing with Firewalk with me. I love that I love that there's an hour and a half of uh deleted scenes because you know he could have made a four hour movie that everybody like the the fans would have been into it, but I love that he said, No, let's just cut this to what's important and um there's something kind of interesting about the
0: discipline there. Yeah, and it's fascinating. It's interesting to me that when when you consider, like, his, his first feature was Eraserhead, which is extremely experimental, which is extremely surreal. Very
1: esoteric, yeah.
0: But at the same time, his next few movies are The Elephant Man, Dune, Dune and Blue Velvet. And, yeah, Dune gets away from him, but I think that could sort of be attributed to the source material as much as David Lynch. It's too unwieldy
1: to make one film out of.
0: And the fact that that he followed up probably one of the most surreal directorial debuts in movie history with movies that basically adhere much closer to known forms and known structures.
2: Yeah.
0: And then... By the time he get back, he found his way back to that experimental, truly experimental, surreal, this kind of book edge it with, with it. Inland Empire is just kind of mind-blowing.
1: Well, and it's kind of fascinating because you can put two or three of these movies up as a like a double feature and say, this is the range this guy is capable of. Yeah, Like, if you look at just the first two, if you look at Eraserhead and... The Elephant Man, you know, th- there's one thing that's just pure id and doesn't have any real linear plot, and then there's another one that's a pretty well-structured biopic. Right. And I love the, grandmother the idea... Grandmother is
2: almost... I'm sorry, but the grandmother, grandmother is, like, almost a feature. I mean, it's really lost.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, pretty mm-hmm. it's pretty out there. Yeah. It's long, <laughs> the it's, like
2: it's, it's got a similar feeling to Eraserhead, and that's one I don't think people like watch. It.
1: I really like the Grandmother a lot. Hmm. I... Uh, but
2: it was good when all those came, became more accessible because in the early, like, 99, 2000, they released a um, box set of all the shorts, but you had to order from his website, and it was like $50. Yeah. Or Wasn't
1: that on and the, that's that's, that's actually how Eraserhead got.
0: Yeah. That's how yeah, Eraserhead finally got uh, released was through yeah, his hey website, yeah. and then Criterion got a few years ago.
1: Yeah. Like I do have the Criterion edition. I'm glad. As I do, it was so As hard I, to yeah. uh, find another copy It was affordable, and it yeah. would show up on YouTube now and then, but mm-hmm. it wasn't. It's not the same. Yeah. Um, so uh,
2: yeah, that's how I, that's how I saw Jodorowsky's movies was um, just crappy bootlegs. I have a I have one with like Korean subtitles <laughs> of El Topo, and um, it made me like want to like them more because they were so hard to get. Mm. and then they're just like out there for everyone now. Yeah. That's it is. I, I like the accessibility though I think it, mm-hmm. I don't want people to see movies I don't want them to be just for but it was fun like tracking stuff
1: down. Well, yeah. it was fun. Yeah. there's a certain there's a sport to it that I appreciate but it yeah. is kind of wonderful <laughs> to uh, especially because so many things you know the rights holders are either holding it or they've died and there isn't it's hard to sort out so it's yeah. nice that you can uh usually find something on youtube that mm-hmm. yeah. has been orphaned you yeah. feel like a,
2: you feel like a king like i'm like bring me <laughs> douglas sirk films and like yes. I go on YouTube. the other day i just wanted to watch douglas sirk i was like i want I anyone to watch some douglas sirk movies and like within three minutes i found yeah. them you know like i like that because like my ultimate story was uh ordering uh barton fink on vhs for 29.99 from suncoast video and waiting a month for it to come in and then like that last year, I was walking to Walmart, and it was in the two dollar event. like the yeah. two or three. And I was like, "Jeez, well I worked so <laughs> hard to get Barton Fink." Yeah, I, I hadn't <laughs> even seen Barton Fink because I couldn't even find it to rent. I just was yeah. like, "You got to see Barton Fink." Everyone talks about it. I
1: had a similar thing with Finn and Teller Get Killed*, oh, yeah, where yeah. it was <laughs> so hard to track down. I still have the VHS copy of it yeah. because uh, I've never seen it on DVD at all. Yeah, I remember. Like, I well called I better hang on to it.
2: Mm-hmm. I called Blockbuster headquarters and they were like they they checked everyone's database for killer clowns <laughs> from outer space. <laughs> and now you find that now that's like yeah, a it's in Kroger. the $5 yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um I I do think that accessibility is mm-hmm. is better, but there is something fun about the chase.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Well, I think
2: younger people are more objective because like we would work so hard. It's like buying a record without hearing it. And so like when like like I wanted to like El Topo, uh, you know, yeah. and so like it's a different viewing experience. It's like it's like I, I'll get pissed off and I'll talk to some seventeen year old and i will just like, "Yeah, Seven Seals, all right. Like Seven Seals, all right. Seven Seals is <laughs> one of the best." Like, but they watched it like in between like fifty other movies. Yeah. And give
0: like, Give them about twenty years to revisit, and yeah. I wonder how they feel. Well, because that's, that's that's the thing I that's the thing I've found. It's like I was when. I'll, and Seven Seal made me think about it like when I first saw it I'm like eh, that's okay it's good I mean I I recognize it as a good movie but it's like I didn't I think so much of when I first saw it I was so obsessed with the idea of a guy playing yeah. chess with death
2: that wasn't in Bill and
0: that was yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've <laughs> ever seen and yeah, Ted actually. No. It's the same thing.
2: It's in the second one, right? Yeah, but Journey, but the yeah, fact of yeah, the matter
0: is, it's like I was so obsessed with that image of and it's like so when it wasn't really the entire movie, it's like okay. Also the
2: movie's really funny and people think it's gonna be really like
0: But when I saw it like awesome. but when I saw it like ten years later, I, I loved it. I, I thought it was a great movie. I I recognized what Bergman was doing a bit more.
2: I don't even know if that was one. I just remember talking to some younger person and they had like like me, I would like barely get my hands on those movies here and there. But like <laughs> I'm sure if you just sit and you watch like eight and a half, Rules of the Game, Seven Steel, like you're just gonna be like, Yeah after a if while. If you feel like
0: if if, if you, you feel like, like you're watching it for the sake of, oh well a bunch of people said that this movie's great. Let me yeah. let me see it, it's like yeah, I can kind of see that, like going into. Yeah, it's all right.
2: But that's what's cool about <laughs> movie watching is like, we, it's like it's not always objective. Like, it yeah. depends what mood you're in. Like, I watched The Weatherman, and I was in a really good mood, and I love it. And I don't know if it's really that great. Like, people tell me it's terrible with Nicolas Cage, but I love it. And I, yeah. See, I
0: feel like you and I are like the only people I know that actually really like I, that movie. I like movie. that one too, and that's
1: yeah. uh, that's the last Nicolas Cage movie I liked. You didn't like that <laughs> <Matt> minute, <laughs> <Benet>, the <laughs> um, most. I I have that one, but I haven't watched it yet. It's all right. Um, it's I really like it. Like uh, so, I mean, I need to see that one. But every now and then, uh, I'll watch like every fourth or fifth movie he comes out with. <laughs> like I saw Mom and Dad recently, and it was just not that great. But yeah, I, like I keep so trying cause he's so skilled. Anyway. Like I I keep trying to like him again. And I'm like I know you're I capable of these hey, things. Have been? you
0: seen the preview to uh, Mandy? No, that's coming out. No, no. That's that's his next one coming out. Looks really good. Yeah, it's really right. out there. Yeah, so, my point so. was
2: that, like, you, you do, like, film, you do have the subjective viewing of film. Well, I mean, whether, you, like, even if you, like, you do, like, review movies, it doesn't matter how clinical you want to look at movies. Part of it is, like, what kind of mood you're in. Because, like, I, yeah. the first time I saw Eight and a Half, which is my favorite movie, it had, I, I got a VHS copy with white subtitles. I was <laughs> like, oh, that's his wife? Like, and then, like, I, like it was hard to follow because like, I don't yeah. speak Italian and I couldn't read all of it. And, like, yeah, so it's like, I don't know if like I had if I was, like, from Mars and I just sat down and watched every single David Lynch movie, how I'd feel about it, how I'd rank them. Mm-hmm. Inland Empire definitely wouldn't be my favorite. I've, I just, it's not my favorite now, necessarily. I just, yeah, you, it's, it kind of depends what you bring to it. Uh, that's something I find yeah. really fascinating about film. That's why I, that's why I go back and watch the movies. Oh, yeah. I've, I've had this thing with Paul Thomas Anderson where, you know, uh, me and you around, the, Brian and I are around the same age. And so I followed his career. When Heart 8 came out, I read all about it. Was, that's, that's the year I got super into movies. I love it. And then, like, I was super d- let down by Boogie Nights and Magnolia, which we've talked about. Yeah, we've talked about I that. I,
0: you and I Nights, are very much in the same boat with that. But
2: I just rewatched <laughs> Boogie Nights and, like, really liked it. Well, the thing is, I mean, like, since... everything I hated about it, the, I'm sorry, but the, everything uh, yeah, yeah. everything I hated about it before just for some reason didn't bother me. Like, the tone of Boogie Nights being, being like, Really uneven, and yeah. like the very obviously like Scorsese slash Altman. Yeah, but that stuff didn't bother me <laughs> because I know Paul Thomas Anderson's works so well now that going back and watching, like I enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. I and I always tell people, I always am like, I hate Buggy Nights, and someone's like, rewatch it. When's the last time you saw it? I was like one I was <laughs> like, rewatch it. Yeah. And, like So, it's, I think that's fun about movies. But well, what are you that, that's
1: the first movie of his I saw. So, that was uh, kind of, that was my first impression. I was like, yeah, okay, of course, easy, light. I like it. It's cool. Yeah. And then, you know, you get to his later <laughs> films, especially Phantom Thread, but there will be blood yeah. and things like that. And you're like, okay, yeah, this is a completely different thing than I thought it was. It mm-hmm. Punch and for
2: Love*, which is probably my least favorite, I still think is a better movie than most movies. Yeah. It's just not, like, I don't think it's his strongest output, but people seem to really like it. Yeah.
1: Well, part of that was just Sandler, um, not doing a goofy role, I think. It just took so many people by surprise.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a good movie, I just, um,
0: no, and, well, going, we, we, we're all sort of like sharing our Paul Thomas Anderson, even though this is David Lynch, but that's okay, because of the fact that it's like, we're going into this idea of watching films, and how we react to films over time, and with Boogie Nights, it's like, I watched it, when it first came out, I went to go see it, because I was curious about it, I watched it about a week after I saw Goodfellas for the first time, (laughs) and so that completely, I hated Boogie Nights, because I saw, it was way, I saw way too much of the Scorsese influence. Yeah, I watched my, it. I watched again earlier. Th- yeah, and I watched again earlier this year. I definitely respect it more. I still don't love it. I still don't think it's.
2: People forget, like also how young he was. Yeah. I mean, he made that when he was like 25, 24, 25. Yeah,
0: he was. He was. Yeah, I he mean, was like pretty young. Hard,
2: like, like, how old was Lynch when he made, um, Racerhead? How old would he? Was was he, was he was been? Late twenties, maybe thirty. Yeah. I oh, forget exactly. Okay.
1: But like, um, <laughs> it's yeah. it's like Robert Rodriguez uh, as a twenty three or twenty four year old making these really polished action movies. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I see what you mean. Yeah, uh,
2: it just um, I mean he definitely found his feet with There Will Be Blood, where he was like I'm my own director now. I mean, because like, well, I mean Punch Drunk Love. probably. I, I
0: feel like it started with Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, Punch I Drunk mean, Love. I mean, you yeah. you see element, and I haven't seen Hard Eight in forever. I just watched like, it.
2: It's actually still holds up. It's I, funny cuz him and Tarantino are friends and you can see the Tarantino Yeah, fun.
0: but and, I no I I feel like Punch-drunk Love was when Pete Anderson really started to find his voice. Yeah. And then There true. Will Be Blood from there on out it's like I mean it's all him man it's yeah, like it's, it's very, very much his, yeah, his voice. So, um, But
2: yeah he definitely wore his Altman. I mean he's always been very fond of Altman. Yeah. Um like you see a lot of them. Player and um short and magnolia mm-hmm. which magnolia i i i went through this love hate relationship where i didn't like it for a while yeah and i went back and watched it and i loved it i, I don't know it's just it's weird. weird how you you go through phases and
1: i do think there's something to be said for a movie that's just eminently watchable like boogie nights is one of those movies that is just kind of fun to go through yeah and uh like uh, Shawshank Redemption is another one that's maybe not the greatest movie in the world. It's a little overhyped, but it's according to guys in their thirties on IMDb, it's. Pretty great. <laughs> well, I mean, like it's it's not quite as good as its reputation, but it's yeah. still a fun, watchable movie. And there's yeah. there's there is as much as I love high art. There's something to that idea of this is something that's just an enjoyable ride. Oh yeah. And no,
0: I I <laughs> I absolutely, and that's that's one of the things that's so interesting with me when I go back and re-watch some of these movies that it's been, like, 10, 20 years I've seen. And it's, like, seeing how I react to them now, and it's, like, it's it's good. I, well, I yeah, enjoy we were, it. We were
2: talking about that before we recorded about how, like, look, like, I yeah. love it when I am a kid I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid to re-watch it. And there's movies um, I get afraid to re because I'm, like, I love this. I don't want to think we all have that. some of that. Oh, oh yeah. RoboCop was one for the longest time because it was my favorite movie. And, I, and this was before, like... I was on the internet reading about movies. This is where I only read in magazines and talked to people. Right, the old days. And I went, and then I realized how brilliant RoboCop was. Like it was beyond what I knew. It. Like as a kid, I watched it on like just this hyper violent. I didn't get the social commentary and stuff. Yeah, and that's what. What's one thing we could... I know we've like
1: kind of segue back into.
2: God, of course. But one thing I do love about Lynch is how unpolitical. Like how he just makes movies. Like he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't have like doesn't even seem like he really has a philosophy, <laughs> like yeah, like he just seems <laughs> to like make stuff. And I think that's like he's very, he's a very pure artist in that sense. And like mm-hmm. we were talking about, about rewatching, like I've never gone through a phase of not liking Blue Velvet or Mohan Drive and had to check in on him to see if I still liked them. Like yeah, those I just like had a very strong opinion on right away. Yeah, I mean it's like like some I am like I've grown to like more, but I've never been like actually I don't like Mahon Drive. You know, like I've always, yeah. always enjoyed that one.
1: Well, there's a couple of uh, movies and albums and things like that that I have, and I go back to it every year or so, or every two or three years, I'll put it on, and like, eh, nope, still don't like it this time, you know, but I feel like there's something there that I'm missing, so I'll kind Mm -hmm. of, I'll try it again, and like, okay, well, maybe this time it'll unlock, maybe I'll get it, but...
2: I'm like the last year of Marienbad, how do you say it? Damn, I've tried to watch that movie twenty times. <laughs> it just puts me asleep. And like, you know me, I like crazy ass French movies. Yeah, and I like other stuff by them. But um, yeah, that's one for me. I've never been able to. It's it's like the band The Swans. Like I think they look cool, and I always want to like them.
0: Well, I mean, I know Stalker was kind of that way with you because I still it's like you stalker. you yeah you 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 got into some of Tarkovsky. Like I know you're yeah. a big fan of Solaris, You're a big fan of the Mirror, but yeah. like. Stalker, which was my first Tarkovsky, and I love it. Yeah, I need to like, that's you, the one I keep like, trying to rewatch. Yeah. Like, yeah, you you just and it, it kind of surprised me, but at the it same time, it doesn't favorite. surprise me because even even as a diehard Tarkovsky fan, I can admit that that's a hard watch to watch. Yeah, get.
2: I think it was just like the mood I was in because I mean, I just remember there being like an 11 minute tracking shot of a pillow or something, and me being like, <laughs> "Yeah." And then I got like an hour <laughs> in, and I'm like. Like I'm, a, I'm like, I'm already a quarter through this movie, and like, I, I have, I like, I, I'm yeah. nothing. It's doing nothing for me. But mm-hmm. i I probably like it more now because I do love Mirror and Solaris, mm-hmm. and I think that might be the only two. Uh, I don't know, I don't think I've seen Andre Rublev. Um,
0: yeah, I, I'm looking forward to the criterion or the least of that. Did you go see that. Stalker in the theater the other? No, part? I missed. Unfortunately, yeah, I was to. I had, I, I couldn't
2: do it. I wanted to, they but they just did Mohan Drive too. Yeah.
0: Uh, well, before we, before we uh wrap this up, um, there is one more, David Lynch uh little tidbit that I wanted to bring up. I mean, it really isn't has, doesn't have anything to do with any of his particular. His work that he has done, but one particular project that he was famously in the running for, but oh, did yeah. not do. And That's that is, brilliant. and that is, uh, he was one of the people that George Lucas was looking at for Return of the Jedi.
2: Yeah, I strongly urge everyone to pause this and go watch the YouTube video of him talking about meeting George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about eating a salad and having a headache. And and he keeps ca- calling all the Star Wars things like animals or something. Yeah. He's like, he's like He showed me a book with all these drawings of animals that, that were gonna be in it. That's but, and then come back and finish <laughs> with some of this.
1: Yeah, you you do definitely need that, uh, in your brain
0: before we get into the conversation. Yeah. I mean
2: it would have still I think been a Star Wars movie and been reined in. Absolutely. Oh yeah,
0: I and and that's why I've come to realize more that's why all, do the it. more and more I think about it is that you know, it's like, when, when you first hear the idea of David Lynch directing Return of the Jedi, you think, oh, well, David Lynch directing Return of the Jedi. think bit. of, like, a YouTube that video, like...
2: like, someone would make of, like, all the all the tropes and stereotypes. Yeah. Uh,
1: I usually d- share those when I find them, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're
2: funny. But, like, yeah, I just, yeah, I picture... But, honestly, I think Lynch is... He would have probably brought the same thing he brought to, like, uh, um, Elephant Man and, like... Yeah. Like, I think he would have... I think he, if he would have done it, he would have taken it. Like, wanted it to exist in the same world because he is a skilled director. Oh yeah, like like some guys, that's that's what I always joke. About. It sounds like I'm bashing Jodorowsky, but people are like, I don't think Jodorowsky and guys like that can do anything. Like, I think they're good at what they do. Yeah, I think me, Mike's at what he does, I mean, I don't know his work as well, but like, whereas
1: like Michael Curtiz could do anything, like you could just uh, give him a script for a political thriller mm-hmm. or a comedy, yeah, yeah. he de- delivers I the same no quality, is, but but yeah, like Casablanca and stuff, like, but oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like you you hand him uh, a script for anything and he'll turn in the same quality of movie regardless of oh, yeah. what it is. Yeah, it yeah, was but a wonderful. Like
2: craftsman. David Lynch has proved he's like, uh, a, a, like he can just. He can make straightforward stuff. He's good, but there are and guys he makes who commercials
1: too. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he yeah he directed like a lot of commercials, and some of them are very Lynchy commercials.
0: But yeah, I mean, David. Look, Dave, David Lynch's Return of the Jedi probably still have had Ewoks. Probably still have had a lot of the same stuff that the movie that exists now does. It's like he would been director for hire. The fact that you brought Elephant Man makes a. I mean that. Now I do think he might have been able to take it like maybe five degrees closer to what a David Lynch film is, so if, but if I don't think it would have been specific like the quite s- as different as a lot of people imagine when they think of a yeah, David I mean, Lynch director. I don't think Star it would have Wars been to just totally different. Yeah.
1: Well, if something like this were to happen now, I think there'd be a little more leeway because yeah. he would do something like like the way Marvel. Uh, has brought James Gunn and Taika Waititi and people like in there and um, mm-hmm. Ryan Googler and sort of given them the ability to say like, here's what we do, here's our house style, but let's play with these other elements right. and make them different. Like I think that n- now there might be kind of a place for him, but at the time it was very much like this is the biggest money maker in the world. Don't oh fuck yeah. It up. Yeah. So, yeah, and
0: it, it would be interesting, and especially when you consider uh, how divided the fan base was over Last Jedi and Ryan, what Ryan Johnson did in uh, that movie, it is interesting to think, what if you gave David Lynch sort of free reign to play in the Star Wars universe? What would that look like? Yeah,
2: I don't <laughs> even know. No, maybe maybe I, I, think there would, I think there would be a... Like a um... I think the bad guy. I think he would have invented a new bad guy. to go, you know, in addition yeah. to Darth Vader, that would have been really weird and sinister. I think that's like a trademark he would put mm-hmm. in there. He would. He would have Forrest Whitaker with a gas mask. <laughs> he, he would have, he would have
1: <laughs> had a hole in his cheek or something. Yeah. You
0: know,
2: like. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um.
0: But that was just something I wanted to bring up because I mean, you know, it's like I've talked about Star Wars a lot on here, and it's like oh, yeah? I never have actually. Talked about the possibility of David Lynch doing Return for the Jedi, but since we're talking about David Lynch here, I did want to bring it up.
2: Was it? No, it wasn't um, Lucas. It was Spielberg, right? That um, that uh, Kubrick showed Eraser to, and said that was his favorite movie.
1: And uh, apparently, when he was making The Shining, that was kind of a touchstone for him. Like, I want to make a movie that feels like Eraserhead. And yeah, it is. Yeah. um, But also, I I read this recently, and I again I have a second source on it. So if somebody's wrong, tell me on Twitter, and I'll find out. But um, like there was a uh, apparently Lynch was offered Fast Times at Ridgemont High at one point, (laughs) and uh, it was it was I've never heard that. It was one of those cases where I think it was one of those things where they're like, yeah, I like your movie, I just want to meet you. Okay, you're not, no one's gonna go for this. Okay, nice to meet you. I
0: I would be fascinated by, I feel like more of that movie would have been about Spicoli. Oh, like, yeah, the rest I've of it, like, would, the rest of it wouldn't have been as interesting to him, and it's like, it would have been, like, a two-hour movie, and, like, half of it would have been, like, Phoebe Kate's all those characters, it's like, <laughs> yeah, those, I'm not as interested in that stuff. Yeah, well, that's,
1: uh, well, honestly, you have, because pop culture is... Yeah. So much. yeah. Yeah. I've seen every scene cool. of it a
0: doesn't It's fantastic movie. Uh, well, yeah. Coen like,
2: brothers, they got they were supposed to do the first Batman, and they were like, "Hell no, we're do Batman." And <laughs> in, in their book, they talk about how like he has nightmares that he wakes up, and Ethan is accepted to direct a Hulk movie or something. <laughs> like, they just paid off stuff, but like I always thought the Coen brothers doing Batman would have been hilarious.
0: The
1: humor in it would have been so...
0: Coming off of Raising Arizona, yeah, that would have been, yeah. that would have been great. And that's
1: a very specific uh, point in time, too, yeah. to for them. Um, because that, it's that and Blood Simple and nothing else. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, look, actually, that's uh, one thing I did want to uh, get into briefly before we wrap up, is I think David Lynch's uh, re- um, relationship to popular culture is kind of interesting because... It's so common now for us to just reference other movies or songs or something that's in the popular media mm-hmm. and um like, and it, I'm a fan of both these people, but you know, Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino, and the way they do things is very much on the nose. I'm a fan, and here's what I'm a fan yeah. of. But I like that David Lynch is very stealthy with the pop mm-hmm. things, like they're quoting song lyrics or there's just a dumb joke buried of like. Uh, well, been ben start, Horn's like, bro- old
2: fashioned sensibility. Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: like, Ben Horn's brother is Jerry, Ben and Jerry. You know? yeah, yeah. But, like, the scene doesn't hinge <laughs> on it. It's just, like, if, if you yeah. notice it and chuckle, you're good. But, you know, and I, I think that's kind of fascinating, especially now, because so much of our media is remixing other things. Right. And, like, Sorry, go ahead. well, While well, I've liked the more recent Star Wars movies, I kind of feel like there's not enough of that in them. Like it feels like their only point of reference is other Star Wars movies. Yeah. And they I feel like they're boxing themselves in too much.
0: Well, and um, I think that's one of the things that I really liked about Last Jedi is I feel like Ryan Johnson sort of pushing it out of the box that like like Force Awakens is very much in, in a lot of ways, it's very much a carbon copy of New Hope. Oh, yeah, definitely. And following the same kind of blueprint as Return of the Jedi, which did the same thing. But with The Last Jedi, in terms of the structure, in terms of the way the story plays out, the way you see Luke's character arc in that, it's like he's he's trying to push... He, he's, he realizes that Star Wars can't stay the same.
1: Well, and honestly, like I, I, really liked that movie, but I wish it had gone further. Like yeah. there were so many of my favorite things. Where when Snoke tells him to take that stupid mask off and yeah. all this other kind of stuff, <laughs> like I loved a lot of those moments that were casually disrespectful, like the mm-hmm. calling it a laser sword and throwing it away and things like that. Yeah. That what about
2: the milking of that thing. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <this>
1: of <laughs> but, um, but like, yeah, that if it were, if I had been. Uh, given the chance, I would have pushed it further because yeah. I feel like, um, you know, it was this thing that was a hodgepodge of references to other things and ideas from other places, and now it's kind of just too streamlined. Mm-hmm. But um, but I do love the way Lynch is able to kind of stealthily kind of sneak things in. And I love that, you know, the character named Gordon Cole is a throwaway character in Sunset Boulevard and that the car from Sunset Boulevard is in... Uh, Moholland Drive. And mm-hmm. I, I love that there's all these things that are kind of there as Easter eggs if you want to find them, but that in no way does your enjoyment of the scene hinge on knowing that. Right. I love that you don't have to get the reference in order to understand what's going on.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like my jokes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Jeffrey, did you have anything uh, to sort of close out on?
2: I, I, I don't know. We've been talking forever. I think we've set him
1: up. Probably too <laughs> much, yeah.
0: Probably too much. Well, I mean, you know, the the <laughs> fact of the matter is, it's like, yeah, we, we did go off on some uh, yeah, di- divergent tangents, but, I mean, ultimately, I mean, we did bring it back to David Lynch, and ultimately, I mean, it it's ties into things that we were talking about Lynch as, you know, as watchers of his films, as... The, the filmmaker that he is and the storyteller that he is. And uh I, I think that's one of the things that I like about this format in that I mean it's especially somebody like Lynch. I mean we can we can talk about different filmmakers that we appreciate, different filmmakers we feel like, you know, are sort of in the same ballpark as David Lynch in terms of the, the way they tell their stories and the way they've matured as filmmakers. It's like, and, and the way that we as movie watchers sort of have matured as, you know, David Lynch's continued to make films and commi- continued Twin Peaks and all of that stuff. I mean, I, something, the idea of revisiting a movie years after we saw it the first time and then seeing how our opinions... I mean, that that's kind of an essential part of, I think, really coming to appreciate somebody like Lynch.
1: Yeah. Well, and all art is kind of an open circuit, and you need the audience to close it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where it doesn't really exist without the audience because they have to interpret what they see. Yeah. And so I, I sort of lost track where I was going with that. But, <laughs> like, uh, if you don't have an audience, you don't have art.
0: Right
2: you've
1: got three guys in the basement exactly <laughs> exactly
0: Yeah. well uh jeffrey matthew thank you very much for joining me yeah, uh i am i'm glad we were able to do this like i said i originally wanted to do this last year while the uh twin peaks the return came out and we actually i i think i first brought up to you jeffrey yeah, when, you a, uh, <laughs> when, when you were doing a uh when when you were doing a show of david lynch's uh <laughs> Music
2: available in band camp, yeah. yeah and yeah,
1: should, we, should we put the link in there because it's really good. Yeah, we, yeah, we
0: can definitely do that. And uh, yeah, I and I really appreciate that we were able to do this. And uh, both of you will be back for what we one thing we sort of touched on my uh class of 99 yeah. sort of series next year. And I know Matt, you and I have uh talked about doing an Ed Wood podcast. Yeah, we talked about Edward Wood. Ed Wood. <laughs> we
1: hinted at a Hitchcock thing at some point too. And yeah, and
0: I mean, I don't know when that <laughs> one will go. I'm not going to commit to uh, Hitchcock anytime <laughs> soon. But uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely, right. I definitely to want him to him do it. it. <laughs> no, I, I, definitely, I definitely want to talk about Hitchcock, and uh, that's that's a fascinating discussion right there. But yeah, Edward I think, is the next one that I definitely want to get to that one. Soon.
1: Okay, that's uh, <coughs> and we're both going to do at least one 1999
0: film. Yeah. Or so, um so yeah, thank you very much guys for uh joining me tonight. Thanks thank you. It. And uh that's it. I hope you enjoyed this. Um join me at uh, patreon.com/sanksema for more from Sanksema coming up. I've got a lot of different uh episodes of the uh podcast, uh some more Uh, individual movie breakdowns to come up at the end of the year. We've got some discussions on filmmakers like Ed Wood coming up. And uh, for now, this is uh, Brian Scuttle. Thank you very much. (laughs)